This is Comic Geek Speak, episode 1756. Previews. I'm Ian Levinstein. I'm Adam Murdo. I'm Chris Eberle. Ooh, doggy. <laughs> Yeehaw. Great hornetoads. It's a delight. Uh, as always. Yep, same here, my friends, and we could all use a little more delight in our lives these days. Hell yes. Murd, I like when you get a little edgy and grim there. Ooh, fantastic. Well, you know, these are it's the dark depths of the holiday season, Chris. I hope the I hope the Christmas barn is doing well. It it is it is, which is why my uh, physical and mental state is ailing a bit. I am, <laughs> as I, I let you guys know a little while ago that I was I had no as of like forty eight hours ago I could not be speaking on this microphone. I was right. pretty badly under the weather. As it is right now, I'm still running a temperature. So if I seem a little bit uh, to borrow the pants speak term loopy, um, that, that that's to blame. But at least uh, the infection has moved away from my throat, and I'm able to join you guys in uh, communion and fellowship on this fine uh. evening. Let's note, ladies and gentlemen, that Murd has decided to mount the rampart despite the fact that he is running a temperature. Mm-hmm. I'm waving <laughs> the CGS standard high. <laughs> the CGS goes above and beyond the call of duty. Uphill, in the snow, both, both ways. ways, he still manages to make it there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Previews. Yes, December issue is. for books coming out theoretically in February. Hmm. Yep. What's the uh, what's the uh, number of the previews? I always forget to check that. Catalog number issue three. It, go ahead, Murd. I'm sorry. Oh, number three seventy five. Thank you, Chris. There we go. Alrighty. Now, before we get going here, uh, just a little bit of uh, housekeeping notes uh, for everybody out there. Uh, for those of you unaware, uh, for those of you who uh, have not checked Facebook recently, uh, as of this past week. Comic Geek Speak officially has its own Facebook group. So uh, for those of you who uh, don't feel like uh, setting up a forum account or don't tend to check more than one or two websites a day, uh, we just made it a little bit easier for you. You can go ahead and uh, visit the uh, the Comic Geek Speak page on Facebook, which is facebook.com slash comicgeekspeak. And right at the very top of the page there, you can find the visit group button. And just go ahead and click that, and you can join the aptly named Comic Geek Speak Supergroup. And we've got uh, over 250 listeners joined already, uh, plus a couple of hosts. I know uh, Pansy has been posting a little bit, and uh, and oh. Shane's over there, so uh, and, I'm, and I'm in there as well. Uh, plus some of your favorite moderators, including David D. and Al Sparrow. Have uh, got, got, went, ahead, went ahead and uh, and uh, taken up their uh, their admin privileges yet again. So uh, if you want to converse with fellow fans and listeners of the show and your co-hosts, just go ahead and do so over the Comic Geek Speak supergroup. Isn't he swell, gang? <laughs> uh. 
make it Thanks. as easy as possible for you guys to 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 interact with us. Splendid. Right on. Uh, the other th- the other thing of note that I wanted to mention, so I didn't mention it uh, the last time we recorded, uh, is. Uh, over on my other podcast, uh, Comic Timing, uh, we just hit our 200th episode. So, Congratulations, sir. Thank, thank you very much on that. And I got to record in person uh, with my co-host Brent Casina for uh, part one of our episode there. We're going to do a part two with, uh, with the usual Skype crew eventually. But uh, any of you who have not checked that out, go over to comictiming.net. And uh, it's the uh, second episode down there after the most recent BK's Bullets Live from Florida, Brent and I uh, gather together some comic timing facts from the past couple of years and uh, and just shoot the shit as always. Congratulations again, brother. Yep. Thank you much. I lift a tankard of Snapple High and salute to you and Brent and Brandon and the whole <laughs> comic timing family in uh, recognition of this milestone. Here, here, Merit, as I, as I uh, raise my water cup. <laughs> Prost. <laughs> Alrighty, I think that's that's all I have. So uh, how about we get going on this previews? All right, image. Well, page thirty-seven has to be acknowledged as quite a milestone. Savage Dragon issue two fifty. Yep, right behind uh, its uh, fellow Spawn uh, cohort there at hitting the two hundred and fiftieth issue. Now, reading the copy, what I never realized—I've never really read Savage Dragon—is that the story takes place in real time. Ah, uh, correct. Yeah. Oh, wow, that's fantastic. Yep, so he's got uh, a couple kids running around and uh, and a bunch of other uh, fun stuff. So, yeah, Larson's been uh, making making that uh, that story uh, go further and further as time goes forward, so it's pretty cool. Now, have I, I've never really read the series. Have either one of you taken a stab at reading it or, or some certain arcs, for example? The only place I've ever seen Savage Dragon is in crossovers with other series and other characters. Like he did a right. uh, guest shot in Big Bang comics uh, or two years ago, but yeah, I don't think I've ever actually picked up an issue of, of his own series. Yeah, I've uh, I've seen him cross uh, in the background. Uh, they would occasionally have all the image stars uh, fighting alongside uh, Invincible in his in his comic, uh, sort of making it an extended universe, even though it isn't really. Uh, but I, I've read the like maybe three or four issues of Savage Dragon out of the two fifties, so I can't really say much about it. But I will say that. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm happy to see that Morrison's still doing it, and and that uh, there's that much story to be told. It's cause for applause when any uh, independent or semi-independent series like this reaches such a, a high number. Definitely, yep. absolutely. Well, I'd be interested to see, you know, such a long time how his, his writing has changed over that time period, which I'm sure it has. Um. That'd be fascinating to look at. I, I, I don't know if I have the time to read 250 issues of Savage Dragon, but, you know, hope springs eternal. All right, let's delve further into image, gentlemen. Let's do it. Uh, very next page, uh, we've got uh, a new book uh, by uh, Michael Avon Oming, uh, who's, uh, you know, well known for for his work with uh, Bendis on Powers and uh, some, uh, some of the Mice Templar stuff that came out uh, with uh, Brian Glass. From a while back, uh, this is uh, 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 this is called the After Realm, and uh, obviously uh, he's uh, won himself a bunch of Eisners and Harveys over the years. And uh, this is a new ongoing extra length quarterly, and the aftermath of Ragnarok. Una, an Elven Ranger, sets out into the post-apocalyptic chaos to discover the fate of the old gods. But first, she must fulfill an oath to a lost friend that could doom what's left of the Nine Realms. 
Well, I, I, go ahead, Reed. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say it's Norse time. Something that Oming does well. I mean, he did he did some work on Thor, as you mentioned. Um, I just have a, a quick human interest story. I met him a couple times at, at the old Pittsburgh Comic Con. Mm-hmm. Such a nice fellow. Um, he comes from New Jersey, and uh, you know, very open to, to chit chat and and sketches. And he had already done a watercolor sketch uh, fr- based on the Spider-Man 1960s cartoon. Mm-hmm. That moment when Spider-Man clicks his camera and the flash then shows you the title of, of, of the cartoon, if you can think back to that. And boy, did I snap that up right away. I'm looking at it right now in my office. So it's one of the, <laughs> the sketches I put on the wall. It's so goddamn beautiful. Um, what a great artist. Awesome. All right. Now, uh, on the stump number one on page 42... Uh, Chuck Brown, who I believe is the co-writer of uh, with David Walker of Bitter Root, if I remember. Yes, I think he is. Yep, which I'll talk about more in a moment. But um, this is an interesting premise. History diversion 1868 when a pivotal presidential debate turned violent. Today, elections are decided by highly publicized hand-to-hand combat in arenas called stumps. Unfortunately, violence is an end of the ring, and powerful people can still get away with murder. Senator Jack Hammer and FBI agent uh, Annabelle Lister are teaming up to bring it all down. Hmm. That sounds interesting enough. Well, it's got Sanford Green, who I love, doing variant covers. So, yep. and, and while I'm uh, not familiar with the uh, with the main artist uh, Prenzy, mm. which I, I assume that's an alias, mm. uh, <laughs> it, it does look pretty good. Uh, from Italy, apparently. Ah, okay. Yeah, it's, it is an interesting premise. In this day and age when uh, the civility has all been all but entirely bled out of American politics, we might as well just <laughs> take that idea to its logical conclusion and uh, have political disputes be resolved with uh, cage fights. <laughs> politics meets pugilism, plus some alternate history worked in there. It's, it, it's a neat idea. Sure is. I want to comment. On, go ahead. Go ahead, Ian. I'm sorry. Uh, oh, were you going to comment on page 46? Or no, you can you do skipping? that. Okay, uh, page forty-six. I, I have to mention Tartarus number one for the uh, for the premise because uh, I, I love when they do things like this. It's like it's Breaking Bad set in Moss Eisley. <laughs> like, all right, you, you've you've got me hooked because I'm a I'm a huge uh, Breaking Bad fan and I'm very much in a Star Wars mood. So I might have to check out Tartarus number one by, of all names, Johnny Crispus. <laughs> Did you enjoy, see the Mandalorian episode where he goes to Tatooine? I did, yes, yeah. That was that was really really fun, and, and it was it was great to see Amy Sedaris in there. Yes. Uh, anytime I get to see her in anything, especially something like Star Wars, I'm thrilled. Yeah, that, I, I agree. Yep. All right, uh, I wanted to talk about uh, Bitter Root issue six on, on page fifty. Um, I'm a, a guy. I love the David Walker Sanford Green team. They did a wonderful run on Power Man and Iron Fist that ended way too soon, a couple years back. Uh, and I read the first issue of this. I loved it. And I, I, my own fault, I didn't keep up with it. I, I'm going I'm to be treating myself to several trades this Christmas from InStockTrades.com. And this is one of the ones I'm going to buy. But the, the premise is it takes place in the 1920s, uh, you know, jazz era, you know, Harlem Renaissance, etc. And it's a family of African-American demon hunters. And the first issue was really entertaining, really tantalizing it just really captivated me and i'm definitely going to order the first trade to catch up but this is issue six 
that's coming out uh, in February. So this this is a book just based on the first issue, which was wonderful. I highly recommend. What else, brothers? Uh, well, I have to mention uh, Battle Pug Volume 1, War on Christmas Trade Paperback by Norton. Norton. <laughs> Page 53 for that. It's the uh, first five issues of Battle Pug, the ongoing series. And uh, boy, oh boy, do I love me some Battle Pug. It's a great cover. Mm-hmm. really is, yep. <laughs> Just love that he gave us a holiday-themed arc to uh, open up this new ongoing series. Yep, <laughs> well, well-timed. <laughs> uh, we mentioned on page, in the past, on page 54, Dead Eyes Volume 1, um, which used to have a different name, didn't it, Bird? Yeah, it was called Dead Rabbit originally. Dead Rabbit, that's right. I remember reading the first issue, I enjoyed it. Um, and this is the this collects issues one through four, just retitled. But Jerry Duggan and John McRae, the artist I love going back to when he worked with Garth Ennis on Hitman. So I, I recommend that as well, at least the first issue. And on the uh, very next page, on page 55, uh, Die Volume 2 is being released. Uh, I mentioned Volume 1 in the past. It's uh, Kieran Gillen's uh, fantasy-driven Dungeons and Dragons take, and uh, this is the uh, issues six to ten of that series. Uh, looking forward to reading more of that. I have volume one in my in my possession, and uh, let's see what volume two brings. God, Ian, I, you just your voice just gave me a little bit of a charge there. <laughs> it's the, there's there, there's there's a just a, a friendly, cozy authority to it. I've got better acoustics than usual, too. You so do have, yeah, I must say, you do have really good acoustics tonight. Yeah, <laughs> I'm in the smallest conference room in the uh, in in the uh, in the office space that I that I was working in today. So it's uh, working nicely for me. Let's point again the sacrifices that the CGS Legionnaires are making right now because Ian's staying in his office to record <laughs> this episode. Bird has a fever. I'm fine at the moment, more or less. Like I can't, you know. <laughs> I can't boast about anything I'm doing that's, you know, for the the greater cause. But, um, gentlemen, kudos. Kept me out of the snow. I'm fine. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, page 56. Reissuing the 999 volume one of Lazarus. Oh, yeah. Which is a book that becomes, it's, it's, a, it's a dystopian near future that becomes more frighteningly real every, with every issue I read. Um, this is this is to me one of the best books of the of this decade, and I've talked about it, you know, ad nauseum on the air, you know, over the past few years, and I, I can't recommend it enough. I think it's the greatest work of Michael Lark's career. Um, Greg Ruck is at the peak of his powers. If you love dystopian work, if you love, you know, corporate intrigue, if if you're fascinated by, you know, a what if future for the for the well, not just for the United States, but for the whole world. Um, and, you know, political intricacy, this is a book you really have to try. In fact, I got the new issue, because now they're doing a, qu- a quarterly prestige format for it in terms of its new release. I got the new issue, my, my latest ship, and I can't wait to read it. All right, what do we got in uh, floppies anybody wants to mention? Uh, well, I can jump all the way down to uh, page 71. So, anybody, all right. Uh, so, we, we had heard about Project Xmas. By, by Mark Miller, and we were theorizing as to what it would be. Uh, this is soliciting issue three of that, but it was announced yesterday uh, that uh, this is indeed going to be the next American Jesus project. Oh, uh, okay. 
Yep. So uh, that, that's that's actually uh, cur- currently being worked on as a Netflix series, and uh, this this uh, American Jesus uh, by Mark Miller and Peter Gross uh, will will be the continuation of that. So all right, I believe yep. issue one should have hit uh, stands today. Uh, I believe I believe so. Yes, we record this on December eighteenth. I have to note, as I always do, with with just delicious anguish. There's no saga yet. Um, <laughs> but in hey. fact, I read I, I just read the latest issue of Criminal by Brubaker and Phillips, which is another book I revere and you know laud all the time on the show. And in you know. Uh, Brubaker always has a great letters page and, and commentary in the back and, and essays and so forth. And he, he talks about how he, he just finally sat down and read the last few issues of Saga. And he referred to Brian K. Vaughn as now his, as his ex-friend. Um, <laughs> and, you know, how much he's looking for, and he, and he's, he's looking forward to it, to it coming back. And he, and he said that he heard it was coming back soon. So he would he would know, I would think, so... That that gave that gave that got me a little excited. All right, let's cross our fingers. Yeah, page seventy four. I just got the first issue of Undiscovered Country. I haven't read it yet, so we can save that for our next comic talk by Scott Snyder and Charles Soule. But I'm really looking forward to reading because the premise is fascinating. The United States has essentially sealed itself off from the other countries of the world in a near future, and some uh, outsiders try to penetrate the border and see what's going on in the country. I can't wait to read the first issue of this right on my pile. And, uh, 72, uh, need to mention, uh, just in passing sex criminals, number 27, as now that the series has returned, this arc is called the end. I'm not sure if we're actually leading to the end of the series or whether it's just the end of an arc, but, uh, the end part two is solicited on page 72 as issue 27 of the, of the series with fractions and Zadarsky. Yeah, that's a book I, I loved, but I, I I fell off it again just because variety of reasons. Plus, it, was, it went on hiatus for a while, if I remember correctly. Yep. So I'll, I'll jump back to that when they collect the end, at the end of it. Yeah. I think if I remember what it said in uh, the last previews solicitation for number twenty six, uh, they, they they brought it back. Uh, they brought the series back to tie off loose ends and and end it. So I, I think this is the end of Sex Script. Got it. All right. Well, at least it's at least it's going out the with. You know enough time to to you know tie up those loose ends, so that's good. Ready for Dark Horse, gentlemen? Go yes. ahead. I'm looking at page seventy-eight. Bang, one of five by Matt Kinn and Wilfredo Torres. Great team, love the art. A best of the best secret age with memories of couldn't, he couldn't possibly possess. A mystery writer in the '60s who spends her retirement solving in her '60s who spends her retirement solving crimes. A man of action with mysterious drugs that keep him ahead of a constant string of targeted disasters. A seemingly omnipotent terrorist organization that might be behind it all, and they're all connected to one man, a science fiction author with more information than seems possible, whose books may hold the key to the saving reality or destroying it. In immediately. <laughs> Can't wait to try this. Sounds like Ian Fleming meets Kurt Vonnegut with maybe a little bit of Philip K. Dick mixed in, and it's all actually oh, written by Matt Kent. So yeah, this I think I, I'll, I'll I'll put in for five issues of that. Sure. And I, I appreciate uh, how the uh, owl is depicted in the preview art. So if uh, if the owl looks as good as the rest of the art does, then then I'm then I'm in. All right. Well, we can look forward to discussing that uh, down the road. Mm-hmm. Very next page on uh, page 80, 
uh, Blackwood the morning after. Uh, it's uh, the next uh, series of miniseries uh, in the Blackwood saga that uh, Evan Dorkin is putting forward uh, with uh, art and cover by Veronica Fish. So uh, we get more in the world of Blackwood here, and this is uh, Blackwood College is in mourning after the death of Dean Ogden, unaware there's a traitor in their midst looking to bury the entire school. Have you read the first series? I uh, have not, but it's yeah. on my to-read list. Okay. Um, uh, and I and I'm just uh, from the premise alone, uh, I went to see Knives Out a few weeks back, so I'm I'm very much in a murder mystery. I heard that was a lot mood. of. I heard that was a lot of fun. It is fantastic. Uh, anybody yeah. who's a fan of like Ag- Agatha Christie style uh, mysteries will love Knives Out. It, it's it's really really good. How would you compare it to Clue the movie? You know, there's there's a pretty good comparison. I'll say that much. It's uh, it's different. It's not anywhere near uh, as uh, far as farcical as as Clue is. But uh, they're they're neck and neck. They're one and two for me. Like they're wow. It's it's, it's really freaking good. And it, it's one of those movies where uh, you're never quite sure which direction it's turning. So even when you think you know what the story is and who did it, you're probably not right. And and that's that's what I love. Oh, that sounds great. Yep. So yeah, well, if you haven't seen it in theaters, see it. If not, wait till it's on digital. What's also great is when Peter Milligan returns to write a comic. Yes, indeed. And that's on page eighty-four. Uh, I recently loved and so did Murd his his take on uh, Rome in the time of uh, Nero when he did his book Britannia, um, which he did a couple runs on about a, about a a Roman legionary who becomes a detective or a detector as he calls himself back then. Murray, you enjoyed that series, didn't you? Yes, I did. I bought uh, all the miniseries that uh, Milligan put out through Valiant. Yep. Yep. I think he did three, if I remember correctly. Um, and so this is a new miniseries doing with Dark Horse, uh, a new sci-fi horror series. A Russian computer virus has jumped the species barrier and wiped out mostly built population, leaving the world precarious in the hands of the next generation. That's enough. <laughs> it's Peter Milligan. I'm going to try this. So I, I always enjoy his work. And the uh, the the artwork uh, by by Jesus uh, uh, Huervas. It, it it's almost Boland esque with the uh, with the faces. Good point. I, I, yeah, I'm 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 really really digging the uh, the 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 detail on the art. Well, we'll report back on that. Yep. Speaking of art. Very next page on page 86, Raphael Albuquerque, one of my favorite artists, is uh, working on a new miniseries with uh, another Raphael, Raphael uh, Scavoni, for Hidden Society, number one. And uh, kind of looks like a, almost like a Scooby-Doo-esque team with maybe mm-hmm. a little bit more sci-fi thrown in. Uh, and uh, it's uh, the team behind Neil Gaiman's A Study in Emerald. Uh, hidden from ordinary eyes, there's a world alongside our own, full of deities, demons, and danger, where magic wins out over science and dark science secrets lie in wait. Creepy, just the way I like it. I like the way you read that, by the way, there, brother. Why, thank you. Uh, I'm jumping ahead, but I have a question. Is anybody, I'm on page 94. Has mm-hmm. anybody read Joelle Jones' Lady Killer? No, I have not. I picked up the first few issues, I think, but uh, of course have not read them yet. No, time bubble. Right, right. Because the the visual dynamic on the cover is fantastic. (laughs) So so I'm I'm reading here, Josie Shuler is a picture-perfect homemaker, wife and mother, but she's also a ruthless killer. 
She balances cheerful domestic bliss with coldly efficient assassinations. Josie tries to keep her perfect family alive with a blunt-stained new vision of the American dream. So this oversized hardcover collects the original series, co-written by Jones' longtime collaborator, Jamie S. Rich. Hmm. That sounds pretty cool. Here's the issue. This issue of this issue of previews. Mm-hmm. Forgive me. Forgive me to those who are teachers. I use the word issue twice in a sentence. That was terrible. Um, there's a lot of trades I want to buy this month. I can't afford all of them though. Yeah. Like if I if I had money to burn, I would get this because it looks like it's really my kind of my kind of story, and I love the art. Well, that's that's what uh, waiting for Amazon discounts and and uh, and in stock trades and all that jazz is for you know. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I'd, ra- I'd rather give the money in stock trades if I can. I hear that. So. Yep. Uh, I want to bounce back actually to page ninety two just for a minute uh, for the uh, for the historical aspect of it. Reprinting the original comic series, the thirtieth anniversary of Aliens versus Predator. Oh wow! I totally missed that. What yep. page is that? That is on page 92. Okay. It's uh, Randy Stradley and Phil Norwood's uh, original uh, uh, adaptation, not adaptation, but presentation of Aliens vs. Predator, because there was no Aliens vs. Predator movie back then. So this is all you had, and uh, this is, uh, you know, their take on it. And uh, if the uh, artwork on the cover is anything like what it is on the inside, then it is going to be pretty. Did 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 you see the first AVP? Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's camp, it's campy. It's, it, it's, it's a mess, but it's campy fun. Yeah, no, I, I remember Ryan and I went to see it just expecting it to be that. And yeah. we were thoroughly entertained because that's exactly what we got. So, <laughs> um, yeah, now the, 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 the alien franchise went off the rails years ago, but it, it, at least that one was at least fun to see. Yeah. I'm still a huge fan of predator two. Hmm. Um, I, I just dig the whole L.A. gang over the top environment for that one. Plus, you know, Danny Glover. But <laughs> he, must uh, had, he must have had bills to pay when he took on that film. But more than likely, uh, it's fun. <laughs> uh, page, page ninety-eight. Uh, I'll mention because uh, we did mention the uh, the single issues when they were coming out, if I remember correctly. But uh, Ruby Falls and Ascenti's new series is collected in trade paperback. Uh, so anybody who's uh, looking to get the uh, full story of that uh, can get the four-issue miniseries in full. Jumping back a page, page 97, Joe Kubert, Abraham mm-hmm. Stone. So this is Western Noir that completes the complete Abraham Stone, collects the complete Abraham Stone graphic novels. So it's Kubert. <laughs> That's really enough. I mean, <laughs> 20 bucks before discount, 152 pages. So I need uh, – I need more currency. There's, there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff I want to read in this month's previews. You and me both, man. You and me both. Let me add to your troubles for a moment here, Chris. Ah, Merlin, I love you when you do that. Back on page ninety eight, right next to the Ruby Falls trade that Ian just mentioned, uh, we've got the trade of a series called Everything. Uh, collecting the first five issues. It's the story of... A, everything. Yes, everything. Every needful thing we might stick in there. It's about a sinister new department store, like a, a mega Walmart or Target-style uh, uh, big box store, um, which is kind of a kind of a ring of Grant Morrison's X the Living Corporation to it, that kind of uh, you know sinister eldritch cachet about it. Uh, and it's brought to us by uh, writer Christopher Cantwell, who uh, wrote that uh, Doctor Doom series that you're enjoying so much from, oh, from Marvel right so now. so good so far. Oh. So here is another thing that that same writer has written. Nice. All right. Thank you, Murd. And I want to mention page 102 
uh, Christos Gage writing The Incredibles. Mm, how about that? Yeah. Uh, Disney Pixar The Incredibles 2 Slow Burn. Uh, it's uh, looks like it's uh, – I'm not sure whether this is just, you know, quote, unquote, in the universe of Incredibles 2. I think this is a story after it rather than an adaptation because it certainly doesn't sound like uh, – the, the 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 plot of the movie. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is uh, maybe the third one of these that they've done through Dark Force so far. It's just, it, yeah, got it. They're going with Incredibles two just to piggyback on that recognizable, <laughs> you know, brand power. You know, not that it's and as you say, Ian, it's not an adaptation of any part of the movie. It's not right. even necessarily set during the time frame of the movie. It's just, you know, happening in at roughly the same time, as opposed to being, you know, stuck in between moments of the actual film's running time. Got it. Yep, but uh, it's Christos Gage, and uh, I love me some Incredibles, so that that, that has me interested. Mm-hmm. I am on board as well. Mm-hmm. And on the anything facing... else for Dark? I'm sorry, Mert. I apologize. No, no, go ahead, Chris. I was just saying, anything else for Dark Horse? You guys wanted to? Uh... Oh. Okay, in that case, I'll Grace. go ahead. <laughs> on page 103, the facing page, uh, we've got a trade paperback of a Frozen miniseries, uh, True Treasure. For any uh, young people on your list who may have uh, seen Frozen 2 recently and would like to read more about those characters. And there's also a graphic novelization of Lady and the Tramp, uh, tying into, I I guess, the uh, recent live action and CGI uh, adaptation of that Disney classic, released uh, directly to streaming. I'm glad you said live action and CGI because I'm so tired of people calling it a live action adaptation. They are CGI dogs. Come on. <laughs> Although they are interacting with actual human beings. so That is fair. It's more that fair to call fair. that live action than, say, The Lion King, which is just about all CGI. Yeah. Uh, you can call it the same type of movie as Rocky and Bullwinkle was back in the day. Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's that sort of combination. Right. You guys ready for DC? Let's do it. I wish our fabled co-founder Peter Rios was here right now because he'd, I'm sure, have things to say about Amethyst. <laughs> oh, no doubt. Yep. Uh, yeah. Mert, Mert, just quickly, what's the background of this character? Because I know very little about her beyond just that she exists. But uh, Well, she was introduced in the early 80s. Uh, she was uh, created by the same people who gave us um, uh, the Blue Devil character at about the same time. And uh, she uh, she was introduced in like one of those little pullout sections that uh, DC introduced and they, they they used to introduce new series in uh, in their line in those days. Uh, like there'd be an issue of uh, in, well in Amethyst's case it was Legion of Superheroes and there'd be a special little pullout section previewing Amethyst. And uh, the 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 concept there was that she was a typical American teenage girl, like thirteen years old, who discovered that she was actually like a changeling from an alternate dimension fairyland. And she was the princess of one of the royal houses of that land. There were like 12 of them, I think, possibly 13. Uh, they, they were kind of squabbling amongst each other. And she was uh, sent to, the, to planet Earth uh, to, uh, for her own protection. I think at first it was intended to be like its own little self-contained property, not necessarily a part of the DC universe, but, uh, but she was pretty quickly incorporated into the DC universe, along with a number of other outliers uh, that DC was publishing in those days, around the time of Crisis and Infinite Earths. Yeah, Peter and I got into this in our last uh, episode of the Crisis Tapes. And two things I want to know. First of all, I'm right now devouring that latest Crisis Tapes episode. It's magnificent. And second, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Professor Murdo's office hours will be posted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I've been I've been enjoying Amethyst in uh, in the uh, Young Justice run so far, and uh, to see somebody like Amy Reader tackle the character really has me intrigued. So this is uh, 
this is going to be something that I that I definitely uh, pay attention to and take a look at. And Ian, when I do my little Christmas treat to myself and order a bunch of trades, Young Justice, one of the trades I'm going to be ordering, the, the first volume of the new series. Excellent. So, yeah. And I need to flash back a little bit uh, to the very first page of this uh, previews. Yes. Uh, because I've mentioned it before that uh, Joshua, Joshua Williams has been on uh, the Flash series since the beginning of Rebirth. And now here we are with a milestone anniversary issue, the 750th issue of The Flash, combining all the series into one. And the, uh, the, 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 the people on this issue, Josh Williamson, Jeff Johns, Michael, Michael Marchi, Marv Wolfman, Francis Manipool, and tons more with art by tons more, uh, beginning a, uh, the Flash Age arc of the series. In, 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 and uh, covered <laughs> by, Howard, by, by Howard Porter. Uh, you, you can't sell me any more than that. Prestige format, seven ninety nine. Yep. Sure as hell, I'm not going to be paying that for it, but uh, <laughs> I, but I will read it at some point. <laughs> I'm looking at page uh, eight. DC Crimes of Passion. Variety of writers and artists, including Mr. Norton. Um, but what I love is uh, the, the sort of the framing device is that it's. it's I think that these stories are told through the perspective of the classic DC private eye, and I think one of the oldest DC characters, mm, right Slam Bradley. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in fact, uh, I love how Brubaker used Slam Bradley in his legendary Catwoman run. If I remember correctly, I think they drew him like he, as if he looked like Robert Mitchum, <laughs> which was perfect. Good cast. So, yep. So it's an eighty-page giant. Yep, just in time for Valentine's Day. Yep, on page eight. I love the cover. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody read the Morrison uh, Green Lantern season one? I only read the first issue. Uh, I'm about that far into it myself. I got to catch up. Okay. Yep. Some good, uh, uh, mind bending, but, uh, surprisingly, uh, retro flavored stuff. Um, uh, as we've, we've said a few times, it's, it's basically, uh, Morrison and Liam Sharp, uh, doing kind of a 2000 AD worthy riff on another Green Lantern Corps. And, uh, they took a break between seasons to do a three issue alternate reality. It's basically an age of apocalypse t- uh, type, uh, Caesura in uh, the story they were telling and visiting an alternate reality in which uh, the Green Lantern Corps never existed and a rival group called the Black Stars instead took root and uh, Hal Jordan was a member of that organization instead of the GLC. Uh, but that's all behind them now and now we're beginning a new series, Green, The Green Lantern Season 2, um, uh, focusing on uh, Jordan and his fellow Lantern's search for the next generation of cosmic immortals, the Young Guardians. And if they're anything at all like the new Guardians of the late 80s, <laughs> I'm tapping out right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think you have to worry about that too much. I, I hope not. Uh, I think Morrison Morrison sometimes likes to have a little fun with readers, but I think he knows better than to try and, and bring back that concept, even with a new coat of paint on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Look at page well, – uh, um, I'm sorry, Ian, go ahead. Uh, were you going to talk about page uh, 11 or – Yes, uh, yes, I was. All right. Then, then by all means, go right ahead. Well, I just – I love the creative team. Amanda Connor, Jimmy Palmiomini, wife and husband. Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey, number one. Uh, art and cover by Amanda Connor. Now, of course, they're tying in – they're going to – they're trying to piggyback on the movie here. Yeah. Um, 
but I love the artwork. <laughs> oh, so. yeah. Yeah, they, they couldn't have picked a better uh, team for this. And uh, this is most definitely replacing what would have been the Birds of Prey series that was previously solicited, which they then turned into that one-shot Black Label book. Um, and uh, clearly, this is a direction that they decided they would rather go in. And you know what? Good for them. Because it's it's Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti back on back on Harley Quinn in any form. Uh, I'm I'm just hoping that the Birds of Prey are not second fiddle in this series. Uh, we're gonna have to we'll have to see how that turns out. All right. Well, we'll give it a shot. Yep. Uh, I just wanted to point out. I found this interesting. Um, page seventeen. Actually, I'm sorry. Page sixteen. So I loved Powers by Brenda Spenderson Oming. And I stayed with it for quite a long time, but it, for whatever reason, it just came out with greater infrequency, and I just I just kind of fell off the book. Um, it looks like now they're actually doing a hardcover where they're going to finish the series. So Interesting. To celebrate the 20th anniversary of the Eisner Award-winning Capes comic Powers, Bendis will reunite to tell the most significant Powers story ever. So... And it looks like they have the, the, the graphic novel incorporates remastered pages from Powers 7 and 8 from 2015. Celebrates the cut. There's all kinds of extra stuff. And this, though, I... I, I <laughs> and uh, along with revisiting the cult classic TV show, I heard that show was terrible. It wasn't terrible. Um, I I watched the first season. I never actually got to the second okay. season. Yeah. And it, it was one of those shows that had potential, especially with the way that the first season ended. But okay. I didn't. I did never go back and read this. Watch the second season. I'll have to do that at some point. And and tell me because I only heard this and I didn't see it. So you would know. I mm-hmm. heard. I heard that the low budget really showed. Uh, it did at times. Yes. Okay. Not all the time. Uh, but but sometimes it was very apparent. Okay. Yeah. I remember. I, remember, I think Danielle told me that the actor who they cast to play Walker just just didn't physically look the part. Uh, very, yeah. Compared, all right. I can understand uh, that. Yeah, but but so you enjoyed it though. Yeah, uh, well, the, the the actor that they did get to to play Walker uh, was the actor from District Nine. Um, okay, good movie. Uh, yeah, and, and I and I like him in pretty much anything. Uh, it's just it 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 was definitely one of those shows that had to work out its kinks and yeah. did not have enough time to do so. Okay, well, the comic I, I loved. Yeah, I stayed with it. You know. Through its first run, and then it relaunched. I think at the Marvel Icon imprint, if I remember correctly, and then I kind of fell off it. Um, but I, I, I'll probably get this because I, I really enjoyed the series overall. Yep. And on page seventeen, look at this creative team for Superman Villains number one, written by Bendis, Fraction, Fraction Ruck, and Hauser, art by Hitch, Lieber, Perkins, and Pensica, covered by Brian Hitch. So I assume I assume we're supposed to understand that Superman's identity has been revealed to the entire DC universe. I believe so. Yeah. Okay. The Man of Steel's greatest villains react to the biggest news to ever rock the DC universe. Great cover. Well, I think I think the one that was solicited last month was Superman Heroes. So then this is okay. the uh, this is the other side of that coin. Okay. Yeah. Right. Uh, I wanted to bounce back actually uh, right before that power solicitation. Uh, that would be page. God, I hate the missing pages. Page numbers uh, fifteen. Uh, plunge number one. Joe, oh, Joe Hill, Hill and Stuart Eminent. Oh, great artist! Woo. Like 
come on. You want me to read a comic? That's the way to do it. <laughs> uh, and uh, they plunge into the depths of terror with this with this first issue. Uh, so, yeah, I I love Eminem's art. He's one of those artists that like miraculously and meticulously can work like four different styles yep. and each one of them is amazing. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that, that this book works well for him and considering the way he works with shadows a lot of the times, I, I think it's going to be perfect. Well, in the aftermath of a devastating tsunami, an exploration vessel known as the Derlith begins sending an automated distress signal from a remote atoll in the Bering Strait. The only problem is that the Derlith has been missing for 40 years. All right, I'm in. That's enough. Yep. <laughs> Joe, Joe, Joe Hill, a haunted ship. Great. Yep. And then on page 19, talk about having me in Action Comics number 1020. Bendis, art and cover by Ramita Jr. and Klaus Jansen, guest starring the Justice League and Young Justice. Sign me up, please. Mm. Page 20, uh, Aqua Baby. <laughs> Aquaman 57. Aqua Baby. <laughs> L. Levenstein, written by Kelly Sudakonic. So, Marin Aquaman welcomed their very own Aqua Baby. I, I ordered the issue prior to this. I loved the. the I've been reading Aquaman more or less since uh, New 52, although I, I stopped after uh, Abnet left because uh, I loved his run. But I'm jumping back on for the, with the issue preceding this one. Um, now, Murr, didn't in the in the Silver Age didn't Black Manta kill their baby? That is what happened. Okay, and I'm hoping that uh, history won't repeat itself here in the uh, yeah. New Fifty Two DC Rebirth era. Yeah, so I'm going to tr- definitely try that. Um, what else we got for floppies, gentlemen? I'd like to bounce back a little further to page thirteen. Sure. Uh, okay, so there we've got a couple of more of DC's uh, facsimile editions uh, featuring Green Lantern number one versus the Jordan Weir, the puppeteer, and uh, also Flash number one, two, three, first meeting of the Flashes of Earth 1 and Earth 2 and the introduction of Earth 2 as a concept. And uh, down at the bottom, this is what really interests me the most here, a few more of uh, DC's 100-page uh, giants uh, introduced uh, first in, on the shelves of uh, big box stores like Walmart. Um, we've got a second issue of Crisis on Infinite Earths Giants, Giant number 2. Oh. Right. Now, the first issue of that uh, just arrived in Walmart uh, last week. There's actually a copy of it present here in the CGS studio right now, thanks to Mr. Brian Pants Christman bringing it in here. Uh, for he, he bought it for Peter. Um, and so I've had a chance to take a look at it. Um, it says in the solicitation for number two, new stories plus classic reprints. Uh, the new stories actually have to do with the uh, CWTV Arrowverse, Crisis mm-hmm. on Infinite Earths. But they're still darn good material because they're all co-written by uh, Arrowverse executive producer Mark Guggenheim and uh, Crisis scribe and demiurge of Infinite Earths, Marv Wolfman. Nice. <laughs> So there's yes, worthy pedigree there to create these sure, new yeah. crisis Ooh. tales for this new crisis currently afflicting the Arrowverse of, of, of television. So a second – yeah, that, that's going to hit comic shops sometime next month, I think. Issue number one is. Issue number two has an on-sale date of uh, February 26th. So you know, if you're a crisis fan, you know, be there. Did, did, I, did I hear correctly that in that first giant, uh, one of the Earth's Day visits is uh, TV Wonder Woman? Entirely possible. Uh, there's actually a lot of uh, Earths that uh, are visited in these little stories. Um, yeah. Oh. Okay. I'm, I'm flipping through it. I'm not. 
<laughs> I haven't come across uh, Earth 77 or whatever number they're going to assign to that Earth, but uh, we do see Earth D, which Wolfman introduced in that uh, Legends of the DCU Crisis special. Ah, uh, that's cool. Yeah, so he gets to visit that and play with that toy another time. Um, but yeah, yeah, these stories, it introduces uh, a new anti-pariah character called Outcast, spelled with a K. Hey, ya. <laughs> Oh, boy. <laughs> and there's also a reprint of the entirety of Crisis Number 1 and uh, also uh, Crisis Number 7 with the death of Supergirl. And that's it. Uh, huh. So it's about half and half new material to old. All right. Yeah, I, I may have to pick that up uh, off the rack at some point if I can find it. Uh, page 32. Thank you very much for having an actual page number there. Uh, flash look, how bitter, look how bitter he's getting about this. It's, anno- it's annoying. <laughs> no uh, flash forward number six. Uh, it, it concludes the flash forward arc. I have yet to read issue one, but I will read it as a collection, most definitely, just to see what Scott Lobdell was doing with Wally. Um, and, and it's multiversal, so, you know, I do tend to enjoy those when they happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just hoping he comes out in one piece. And a retro creative team, Lobdell and Brett Booth. Yep. I love that Evan Doc Shaner. I, lo- I love Doc Shaner's work. It always has that sort of retro, almost animated feel to it. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yep. I got nothing till page 68, guys, so feel free to fill the, fill the gap in there in between. In between. Uh, page 45, Legion of Superheroes number 4, tells us the secret origin of this version of the Legion. So, I'm curious to, to read that. Yeah, definitely. Same here. Uh, I mean, I, I, I wonder what type of secrets they have hiding in their vault. <laughs> uh, I've got on uh, 43. Three, uh, the 90s kid in me is happy to see uh, Robert Vendetti uh, begin his arc with the Eradicator. <laughs> uh, oh, the 90s. Good times. <laughs> the 90s, indeed. <laughs> yeah, he begins his arc, uh, uh, the page before that on page uh, 40. Uh, but uh, he'll, he'll be having uh, assistance on, on artwork by Aaron Lepresti and a cover by Brian Hitch on that 41st issue. Actually, I have a question, Murd, a uh, historical question. If you look on page uh, 59, the cover of Teen Titans 39, isn't that a tribute cover? Mm, I don't recognize it as such. No, I, I'm, I'm thinking back to one of their earliest Silver Age covers. It, it's not like that. I, maybe I'm totally misremembering that then. But that's just, it's, just it's, it's scratching something in the, the dim recesses of my memory, but well, I could be totally uh, verbally flatulating here. Right, someone uh, get on the hotline to Rios. <laughs> buzzing in the tower because he, yeah, the, he's the one to answer that question. I don't know that many classic uh, early Teen Titans covers. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. 47 um, has me a little bit confused. Uh, Mad Magazine number 12. So is this just stuff they have left in the, in the, in the coffer after, after closing down Mad? Or is it, is it back? That's the question. That I cannot answer. Yeah. I'm assuming it's leftovers because I haven't heard anything about it being revived. So, uh, from what I remember, they did they did have a couple of uh, magazines left over when things shut down. So this mm. may just be them running off whatever's left. Just inventory stuff. Yeah. Yeah. 
We could be doing the Archie approach, too, and just rehashing old content ad infinitum. That's a possibility, yep. Did you... Not a lot, not a lot else in, uh, in single issues, but I'll do uh, my... Go ahead. I'll do my usual call out to uh, to Young Justice, as always. Uh, once once I get to it here, there we go. On page, what page is that? Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling like nobody's business. <laughs> make it hard. They make it hard to scroll on these PDFs. Let's see. Uh, that is page eighty one. Eighty one. There we go. Yep. Yeah, it's a, it, it's 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 more Young Justice, and this time. Uh, Superboy is—he's uh, wearing some sort of Norse helmet, from the looks of it. I think it's so, yeah, it's Warlord's helmet. It's Travis Morgan, the Warlord's helmet. You are correct. Uh, <laughs> who the hell would have thought that? <laughs> so Bendis considering continuing to go deep here, mm-hmm. and he's got a co-writer on this one, David F. Walker, and the arts by uh, John Timms and Mike Grell. So yeah. Oh, I love Mike Grell. Well, he he drew so, Warlord. Yes, he yep. did. He created the Warlord. So here he's yep. returning to his creation. That's 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 pretty exciting in itself. Hell what yeah. Pa- I'm sorry. What page was that, Ian? Uh, eighty-two, I believe. Eighty-two. Oh, okay. Uh, eighty-one. Sorry. Oh. Oh yeah. Yep. Great variant cover, which I'm assuming is yes, it's by Grell. Oh, he still has it. Fantastic. Interesting how many things Peter and I talked about in our last crisis tapes that are proving to be topical in this month's previews. Yeah, I, I just – Murda, again, I want to compliment you and Peter on – you just, just – you just keep taking up a notch. Those are such a delight, those yeah. episodes. Thank you, Chris. It's it's a great deal of fun for the two of us to just yeah, mel- mind meld and, and go like – Microscopic in our right. You sure, and it is, and and, and microscopic may sound painful to some listeners. It is not. It is just a wonderful sort of just deep excavation <laughs> of every facet of crisis. Yes, and yep. Peter is a performer. He knows how to serve up these extremely fine details and, in an entertainment. Uh, you're no way. slouch that department yourself, there, brother. Oh, go on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to mention on page sixty-eight, a uh, new. Uh, we always like to talk about when they do these uh, young young adult uh, graphic novels. Yep. So the Lost Carnival, a Dick Grayson graphic novel written by Michael Marecci and art by Sass Millage. So the art look art looks great. It does, yeah, and, and it looks like a a murder mystery style uh, uh, Dick Grayson story, which are kind of my favorites with them. Yep, taking them back to circus roots. It looks like so. Yep. Mm-hmm. Sixty ninety nine hundred ninety two pages. Not bad. I wanted to jump ahead. Um, I love when they do this. Pages eighty-two and eighty-three. Dollar Comics. They got some great reprints in here. Uh, the New Teen Titans two, which of course the first appearance of Deathstroke. Um, Flash number one from nineteen eighty-seven. Amethyst number one. Green Lantern Rebirth. Batman five sixty-seven. The first appearance of the new Batgirl. Black Mask. Dollar Comics. Batman three eighty-six. Batman Shadow the Bat number one. Good stuff. Yeah, Shadow of the Bat is uh, is uh, important to mention for the Norm Brayfogle art because uh, that's unfortunately something we're not going to get anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, yeah. Any any time I get to see Brayfogle art, it makes me happy. Great artist. Yep. Uh, I have to mention just because whenever <laughs> on page I'm in trades on page eighty seven because uh, you you know Jamie D is grimacing right now wherever he is, but DMZ Compendium Volume <laughs> One. Um, this is one of my – a great book by Brian Wood uh, where, he, again, it's a near future where the United States has fractured into civil war. 
um, and New York City has become a demilitarized zone. It's about the politics in the city and how a, how a, a young journalist tries to navigate those politics. I thought it was outstanding. <laughs> this collects issues one through thirty-six. Go back to the archives for the epic Deemer uh, D'Alessandro uh, brawl over that. So. <laughs> yep, and we have the buttons to prove it. Yep. <laughs> yes, we do. At least I think we do. <laughs> Buried somewhere in this studio, in which I now sit, I think there's still some of them <laughs> that we didn't sell for a dollar at a convention. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other trades you guys want to shout out? Yeah, uh, page eighty-four uh, uh, on the top of that page. They're uh, reprinting a new hardcover collection of Absolute Gotham by Gaslight. First Elseworld. Oh, yeah. It's great. Yep. One of of my favorites. And uh, there was almost a video game. Uh, there really? was a yeah, there was a pitch for a Gotham by Gaslight video game long before any of the Arkham games came out. Uh, that uh, if it had gone forward, would have focused on this particular version of Batman, but uh, it, uh, never got past the prototype stage. And was this was this st- story made into an animated film? It was yes. How uh, was it? I didn't see it. I have yet to see it myself. I think it came out two years ago. Okay. Um, but it, I'm pretty sure it's on the DC Universe app, so I may just have to just put that on and uh, and see what it's all about. Because I, I know that the Red your field report. Can't wait for Red Sun to come out next year. That's oh, uh, oh, oh that's that's oh, gonna be that's gonna be amazing. Tight. Yes, thanks for reminding me of that. I'd forgotten that that was coming out. Yep, I see that they've even thrown in as a bonus uh, uh, countdown special: the search for Ray Palmer, Gotham by Gaslight. Uh, part of the countdown network of crossovers that were not quite as deserving of the absolute treatment as the original miniseries. And also Convergence Shazam numbers one and two. Which, that, that was the whole alternate reality deathmatch thing that DC did a couple of years ago. Some stories of which were actually pretty good. And this one was one of the best ones because it was written by Jeff Parker, art by Doc Shainer, and it was the classic Marvel family. Yep. Um, like the Golden Age style Marvel family going up against Victorian Elseworlds Batman. So a, couple, a little bit of lanyap there in that collection. I want Any- to point out – I'm sorry, and go ahead. I was just going to say anything to fill out the pages, right? <laughs> I was going to point out a, a great story I always like to see when they reprint it on page 92, Robin Year One by Chuck Dixon and Scott ba- uh, Beatty, art by Javier Polito. This is a damn good miniseries. I remember loving this when it came out. I remember they did a Robin and Batgirl year one, sort of back-to-back, whenever that year was. Both are excellent. Um, this is a miniseries I highly recommend. Page 90. Just imagine Stan Lee creating the DC Universe book one tray paperback. Wow. Uh, now, mind you, you can find most of these issues in dollar bins if you're going you sure if, if to be at a convention anytime soon. But if you don't feel like crawling and, uh, and just want to get them all in, uh, in one shot – uh, this is big, book one of that, uh, including uh, uh, Just Imagine Stan Lee with Dave Gibbons creating Green Lantern, uh, Stan Lee and Jerry Ordway creating JLA, Stan Lee and Jim Lee creating Wonder Woman, uh, Stan Lee and Joe Hubert creating Batman, and Stan Lee with John Buscema creating oh. Superman. And Just Imagine Stan Lee with Kevin McGuire, Flash number one. Just, just for the, I mean, for for the talent alone, it's worth it. Even if, even if the stories are up and down in quality, which the artwork are. is stupendous. Yep. Yeah, I haven't read very many of them uh, myself, but uh, the small sampling I've had was uh, not really commendable. Uh, it was. Yeah. Yeah. He had a tendency. I, I don't want to 
I'll just keep my mouth shut beyond that. You know, I, <laughs> I understand that some of them were actually pretty good, but uh, the, the Green Lantern one featuring Dave Gibbons' artwork was the opposite of that. Mm. Well, Murray, I mean, I mean to be fair, and I, as well, I'm a huge fan of Stanley's work. Um, you know, this is very much in the latter stages of his career. Um, I remember this coming out when I had the shop, and I read several of them. None of them were that exceptional story-wise. Nothing really like, you know, I, I I didn't jump up from my seat and fist pump as I do with certain books I read that are so good. But I love the novel concept, and uh, it was fun. And like you said, the art was fantastic. So, you guys ready for uh, IDW? Um, I've got a couple of uh, notes I'd it. like to drop uh, on, on DC before we move on. And, and i got to run. I'll be right back, guys. Just continue. I'll be, I'll be right back. Okay. Not a problem. All right, so one of them was on page 56, uh, kind of mm-hmm. a companion to Legion number four. Uh, Superman number 20, also written by Bendis. Uh, we're seeing the emergence of the United Planets, which is a central concept of uh, the Legion comics and has been for decades. Uh, we're mm-hmm. finally seeing it introduced in modern times. And um, in comes Mongol, and he doesn't really care for the idea of uh, peace, harmony, and uh, diplomatic cooperation between planets. He's a barbarian warlord, and he, yeah, that, that's not good for his business. So we get to see him. It kind of reminds me of one of the very late Golden Age Captain Marvel stories in which King Cull the Beast Man tried to wreck the fledgling UN. And now we've got Mongol coming in to wreck the UP, and Superman gets to stop him. So... Huh. Man of Steel gets to try to uh, wreck his plans there. And, uh, uh, notes. Oh, yeah, and then on page 60, we've got issue number 25 of The Terrifics. That is still going on. It's now being written by Jean Wen Yang, art by Dan Mora. And it's a choose-your-own-adventure-style story. Wow. Yep, 40 pages, and you, the reader, decide the outcome. <laughs> I have returned. Uh, just discussing how there's a choose-your-own-adventure issue of the Terrifics solicited this month. When I was a kid, those books, I devoured them. Hmm. I picked up quite a few at the uh, school book fairs myself, Chris. Uh, I died almost every damn time. My (laughs) decision-making when I was 12 was terrible, but... uh, But there were so many ways to die in those books. (laughs) (laughs) The odds were stacked against 12-year-old you, Chris. Don't, don't feel badly. <laughs> and uh, one more thing from me. On page 86, amongst trades, uh, we've got a hardcover collection of the recently, finally completed Batman Creature of the Night miniseries by Kurt Busiek and John Paul Leon, which is, quote, a deliberate spiritual companion to the beloved Superman secret identity. It's um, kind of a real-world story about uh, a more or less, uh, well, <laughs> uh, a young man named Bruce Wainwright who lives in something close to a real-world uh, situation, uh, but he's still living in a city called Gotham, which of course doesn't exist on Earth Prime. Um, but anyway, it's it, it tells the story of what a person who undergoes a tragedy similar to what Bruce Wayne did in the comics uh, might do if uh, he lived in something more like the real world and was inspired by uh, comic books of, of the actual Batman. So, huh. And uh, it took uh, Leon a long time. Uh, well, actually, I probably shouldn't uh, lay the blame on Leon automatically. Music has a history of uh, 
of, of, of delays in, in completing his scripts, too. But uh, whoever's to blame, it took a long time for this four-issue series to come out. The fourth issue finally found its way into people's hands, like, just within the past few weeks. And uh, now the, the hardcover edition is coming out in, February, in, in March. Excuse me. It's, it's due to be on sale March 25th. But so if you enjoyed uh, Superman Secret Identity, this is kind of sort of the same thing, but with Batman. Nice. And I've got one more real quick. Page 91, one of my favorite Justice League Elseworlds of all time, Justice League of America, The Nail. Oh, it's so good. Awesome. You know, I I dug out the original miniseries this summer to reread it because I just read up this summer to the point where another nail was in my pile. So it's fresh in my mind, and I I share your love and of an enthusiasm for this series, Ian. It's just yep, and and the uh, the other uh, another nail is just about as good. It's uh, you know a good continuation of the series, and uh, this collects uh, both miniseries into one tray paperbacks. So you can get all of it in uh, one shot. Yep. Honestly, the story. Yeah, the story doesn't matter all that much. It's, it's, having reread it, it's it's not the strongest, but it's, it's just an excuse for Alan Davis to go nuts and draw as many classic DC characters as he can in the course of you know six oversized issues. Yep. All right, IDW it is. All right, Ian, you want to talk about this, this Turtles, uh, landmark Turtles moment here? I, I do, especially since I just watched the, uh, the toys that made us on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And, and they discuss in that episode, excellent episode of the series, by the way. So if you have if you have Netflix and you've ever been a fan of TMNT, they go into both the comics and the uh, the toys and the movies and pretty much everything in that episode. So do yourself a favor. You get to learn why, basically, what caused the rift between both creators. And one of those things was agreeing to have a fifth turtle. Because because when they decided that uh, they would give the okay to make a female turtle, Venus de Milo, on the absolutely horrible live-action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles TV show (laughs) that Saban made, um, it basically created a a giant uh, rift between uh, Laird and Hmm. and Eastman. And here we are with TMNT Jenica number one. Tying, trying to acclimate to life as a mutant, the newest turtle, Jenica, embarks on a solo adventure that will force her to come to terms with both her troubled past and a conflicted present. And uh, the writer and artist of this is Bram Revel and uh, Jody uh, Nishijima is the artist with uh, with Freddie Williams uh, doing, uh, doing some uh, 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 cover work on it. And yeah, uh, none of them have, none of them are involved in this one, but we've got ourselves another turtle. So the, oh, the times have changed. <laughs> uh, but Eastman's still involved, obviously, as he's still writing uh, turtles uh, on on uh, issue one hundred three of that. But yeah, definitely go check out the toys that made us on the turtles if you want to learn more about the history of the turtles. All right. I wanted to shout out. This is very exciting. On page one twenty nine, Star Trek Year Five, the Valentine's Day special. So exploring the, the you know the love life of Captain Kirk, which is always colorful and interesting, um, they say he may have met his match in fellow Starfleet Captain Laura Rowan. What's most important is being written by Paul Cornell. Yes, Ooh. whose work does Who not a writer I've always admired. Yep, you don't see him too much in American comics these days. Well, he did a run that I've mentioned in the past on Captain Britain. What was it an MI three? MI thirteen. MI thirteen, where they take on the whole series is great. 
Beautiful artwork by Leonard Kirk, I think. Um, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, the storyline where Dracula tries to take over the planet is is fantastic. <laughs> um, and Cornell, he's he's uh, he, he's to me, he's always been a very consistent, satisfying writer. So I'm definitely going to try out this uh, one shot. Yeah, the the Wisdom miniseries that came before that as well. I know, I've is, never read that. Yeah, it, it's excellent. Uh, it's a max series, and it's definitely on on unlimited and well worth reading. All right. Yep. Uh, page one twenty five. Talk about another great writer, uh, uh, the Crow. Uh, I I'm assuming it's pronounced Leith. Uh, number number one. Uh, Tim Seeley on on oh, writing fantastic. with uh, Elias. Uh, Kriazis on on art. So uh, going into the world of the Crow, Tim Seeley gets to go ahead and write a miniseries in that and that. So that's uh, that's something. And uh, IDW uh, continuing to get their feet wet on the licensing. I wanted to point out um, this. I found very interesting. Forgive me as I find the page, but um, page one forty seven. Free Comics, the untold story of the giveaways that fought commies, sold cars and cigars, showed how to buy a TV and avoid VD, and now are saving lives. <laughs> Editor Craig Yo. Oh, this is fascinating. Kirby, Eisner, Ditko, Wood, Crandall, Everett, DeCarlo. I'm getting palpitations. Kurtzman, Kubert, Stan Lee, Neil Adams, and Charles Schultz, very first work. What a This must be an historical trove. Ugh. Look at this, Captain Hadacall, Sardine Land, how meat moves to market. It's fun to stay alive. Ugh. Tremendous. That's that's gotta be fun. And the next page, I, I love that they're doing this. So they're doing a graphic novel version of the Mueller report. <laughs> on page one forty eight and uh, so hopefully, okay. the, hopefully this report is more compelling than Mulder's actual testimony. I was going to say, um, but hey, I, I love when they they use the comic book medium to in a topical way like this. Maybe we'll get more some members of our government to read it for the first time uh, in, in in graphic novel form. <laughs> you know what, Ian? I found that in my study of history that the worst students are politicians. Mm. So <laughs> I wouldn't count too much on that. Mm-hmm. And on page 150, I'd forgotten that Netflix is going to have have a lock and key series. They sure are. Yep. Oh. It's, uh, it, it officially officially got confirmed that it got picked up past the pilot uh, about a week or two ago. So it's uh, definitely happening, and I think premieres in February. So they're, so they're going to do a whole – they're going to dump a whole, whole season then, essentially. Whole, whole season. You got it. Okay, because I, I love this book. And here they're just featured. They're having – they're putting back into print all six volumes. So – we mentioned Joe Hill before we talked about The Plunge. I think that was DC, and this is the book that really put him on the map in terms of comics. Yep. Anything else for IDW, guys? Yeah, onward to Marvel. All right. Marvel, then I got to go because I got to get my school sleep. All good. But. Wolverine's back. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Can't say I missed him. <laughs> Uh, well. I gotta, I gotta say, first of all, I've always loved the character. I haven't fallen lately, but because you know he, he keeps dying and coming back, and it just gets old. But the artwork here is beautiful by Adam Kubert. It is, yeah, absolutely beautiful. Yeah, and he's one of those artists who just loves drawing Wolverine. He's he's, he's drawn him many a time over yes, the he years. Has. 
And uh, I actually really like this version of the costume. It's sort of like a sort of a combo between uh, his his two outfits. It's got the yeah. uh, the colors of the earth tone, but it reminds me a lot of his uh, of his just straight up yellow outfit. That's a good point because the the mask is, is reminds you of the yellow outfit. But I've always preferred the the earth tones. Yeah, I've found them more menacing. So yeah, I agree. I'll probably try the first issue. Yeah. Just worth a shot. My sentiment for the character. Mm-hmm. Um, this I'm really excited. I'm sorry, Ian. Go ahead. I I assume you're probably going to say exactly what I'm about to say. So go right ahead. Well, it's Chip Zdarsky doing X Men Fantastic Four miniseries with Terry Dotson on art. Yet that's exactly <laughs> what exactly where I was going. <laughs> yeah. No. This is this is this is amazing. Uh, I talk about two of my uh, my favorite creators teaming up uh, to to work on a project. Done and done right there. <laughs> And I love the premise because Krakoa, you know, the island that walks like a man, or however they used to put it. Um, so now that's it's the home for all mutants, and they want Franklin Richards to join them because he is the most powerful mutant. He's the most powerful mutant in the Marvel universe, isn't he, Mert? Uh, Franklin, yes, is yeah. on a cosmic scale. Yeah. So we'll 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 come back with a full report on that one, ladies and gentlemen. Look yeah. at this! Look at this cover art, Ian. Holy yes. mackerel! Gorgeous. Yeah. Absolutely gorgeous. And this is also interesting. A giant size X-Men one shot on page 13. Jean Grey and Emma Frost. Jonathan Hickman writing Russell Dowderman from Thor drawing. Wow. Yeah, that's, that is that is in, 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 yeah, in. Yeah, I may have to get this one too. Yep. I'm going to be spending too much money this month. Jeez. I, here's hoping they don't fight too much over Scott Summers in the process of this team up. Ha, ha. That's exciting. Yeah. Um, Going down to page 20, uh, just just in time for the Disney Plus series, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier number one of five. Uh, Der- Derek Landy on, on writing and Federico uh, Vic- Vinci- Vicentini on artwork. So uh, team- teaming these two together uh, like, like they used to team uh, Cap and Falcon uh, work- works for me here. And uh, the-, the artwork... Uh, we see the black and white uh, of looks the artwork great. looks damn good. Reminds yeah, me a lot sure of Chris Anka's. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, that's that that scene where he's fighting the men on the stairwell. Wow, look at that. Looks superb. Um, when is the show premiering? Um, I'm pretty sure around the same time as uh, as this comic comes out. Okay, uh, but February. It, but uh, do not quote me on that. I know it's coming in 2020. I'm just not sure what what month. Okay. I'm jumping ahead. So if you guys want to shout anything out, I'm I'm going up. Uh, well, very next, very next page. Uh, actually, I'll just mention uh, Ant Man number one and two of five, uh, new miniseries for Ant Man, written by Zeb Wells uh, with uh, with Dylan Burnett, and uh, it looks like uh, it's it's going to team up. Uh, this is the uh, the Scott Lang uh, Ant Man, so we get uh, a little bit of uh, of uh, father and daughter action going on, and I and I I love that. Uh, especially when it comes to Scott and uh, and uh, and his kid, so uh, we'll get uh, both of them in action. Uh, some young Avengers and Avengers teaming together. By the way, you just reminded me. I haven't read in a long time mm-hmm. the classic Avengers story drawn by Jim Chung, Children's Crusade. Oh, so good. Oh, I got to read that again. Yeah, yeah, that was who, excellent. Who, who, who wrote that? Uh, that was Heinberg. That's right. Okay, mm-hmm. it's so good. Oh. Yeah, that was a, that was essentially the uh, the conclusion of his Young Avengers. Series. Yeah, which was which was wonderful. Yep. Um, all right, I'm on 46. If you guys want to shut anything up before that, feel free. 
Uh, Merge, you got anything? I guess we might as well mention the Iron Man 2020, which is that's mm-hmm. uh, the present catching up with the Marvel alternate future. So they're, they're kind of acknowledging that by doing this big Iron Man crossover involving Arno Stark. Yep. And they're also doing a, a five-issue miniseries featuring the Guardians uh, Nebula, um, offspring of the Titan Thanos. That's on page 32. It's going to be written by Vita Ayala with art by Claire Rowe, who worked with the Benson sisters on uh, their uh, Birds of Prey run. All right. What what about these 2020 uh, uh, tie-ins as well? 2020 Machine Man number one by Christos Gage and DeFalco, and 2020 Force Works by Matthew Rosenberg. Force Uh, Works, holy mackerel! (laughs) Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. It's the (laughs) 90s. (laughs) It never dies. (laughs) Oh boy. Um, I'm I'm on 46 because I'm really excited for this. Mm, yeah. Say on, Chris. Say on. Gwen Stacy, she's one of five. Christos Gage writing. Todd Nock on art. So in. So <laughs> perfect for this. Mm-hmm. Covered by Adam Hughes. Um, what's fascinating is they're exploring Gwen Stacy's life in high school before she met Peter at Empire State University. So we're going to get you know her relationship because she knew Harry, Captain Stacy, Norman. Crime Master, Wilson Fisk, Gene DeWolf. Spidey shows up, so it's all about Gwen's life when she's the beauty queen of Standard High. So they're going to emphasize her knowledge as a science student. Um, I'm looking forward to this, because this is a character who I've always cherished, and I always like when they, they sort of flesh her out, because, I mean, the Silver Age, I mean, I, I love the, the Gwen character, but she wasn't exactly the most multidimensional character. Uh, in many ways. So I like when they revisit her and and look at Nock's art. Oh, <laughs> yeah. No, oh. I, I, I'm a huge Nock fan. I have a sketch of his in, in, uh, in one of my old sketchbooks back when I used to collect them. He's, he's the man, uh, I, my favorite artist growing up. Uh, so I, I, I love anything I can get out of him. Well, Ian, we'll talk about that one. Hell yeah. Um, I got to make a confession as I jump ahead here a bit. I'm way sure. ahead, but on, on page sixty nine, mm-hmm. I, I can't. I can't wait anymore for Mortal Hulk on online. I can't. It's <laughs> so goddamn good. I, I'm going to go out this holiday season and just get the trades because I'm like on like issue thirteen, I think, online or something like that. And it is one of the greatest Marvel comics I've ever read. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. And. They're like up to issue thirty-one here. I I, I, I have to cave. I got to get the trades because I, I want to read this book and catch up because it is amazing. I keep waiting uh, for Comicsology sales because they've been doing a lot of buy one get ones, and and I I did buy at least like two of the trades that way uh, digitally. So oh, I, I love I, I love that you succumbed. Oh, fantastic! Yep. Oh yeah. Yep. So so <laughs> freaking good. <laughs> I I, I want to bounce back for a minute to page fifty one, mm-hmm. just because I, this looks right up your alley, Chris. Mm-hmm. As 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 a part of the symbiote Spider Man Alien Reality number uh, miniseries, this is issue three. Peter David, Greg Land, Peter Parker, the Spider Supreme. Oh, I totally missed this. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah. Any any sort of Spider Man. G- Going all cosmic. It looks like we've got some hobgoblin action. We got some hobgoblin action in the background there too. Oh yeah, yep. My favorite Spider-Man rogues. Looks damn fun. Great. (laughs) I wanted to point out this also really intrigued me um, because I think the character is ideally suited. 
Damn it, I just missed the page. Forgive me. Okay, on page 71, Fantastic Four, Grim Noir, number one. Jerry Duggan and Ron Garney. Ben Grimm in the fedora and trench coat acting as a detective. Oh, huh. I cannot wait to read this. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's that's exciting. I love Garney's work. Uh, what else you got for floppies, guys? Uh, let's see. Uh, well, actually, right before that, uh, Fantastic Four number 19, uh, Swat and Isaac uh, continuing their their run on the uh on it the, the conclusion of the point of origin story um and i i kind of love the outfit that reed's wearing like that's actually yeah. immediately what caught my eye there that that, that coat with the four on it looks looks pretty badass <laughs> i wanted to point out because i want to get murdered on in this because he, he knows the history so well i'm on page 92 conan battle for the serpent crown Saladin Achman writing and a, fa- a favorite artist of mine throughout the years, Luke Ross. Uh, Murd, why is the Serpent Crown so important in the Marvel Universe? Uh, well, it's an ancient artifact, which, uh, as you hinted, Chris, has a very long and convoluted history. Uh, yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm not quite as much on top of as you think I am. Um, but it, yeah, it, it ties into ancient Atlantis in the Marvel Universe. Yep. It, it ties into Conan's own Hyborian Age. And uh, it's been at the center of a few important uh, Marvel Universe crossovers. It's uh, very powerful and very evil. It's tied into the primordial serpent god Set, um, who is an elder god and one of the most powerful uh, deities or demonic entities, depending on how you choose to look at him, uh, in the Marvel Universe. See, Murr just had now like an Indiana Jones moment when he's the professor at the college. Yeah, you can hear uh, John Williams' music kind of seeping yeah. in the background. So like what like when all the women in the college are besotted with him and, and the woman has like love you on her eyelids as she closes them. Like I can see Murd <laughs> in that atmosphere. And then in, in the last crusade when they're all trying to get into his office to discuss things, that, that that's Murd's power right now as, as a professor of comic book history. <laughs> Superb. Absolutely uh, superb. If only, Chris. If only. <laughs> um, a few more that I got to run, guys. My apologies, but no worries. I got, I got two more days of school before our nice break comes up. Ah, but um, so close you can taste yes. it. What's that, pal? So close you can taste it. I said. Yes, indeed. Uh, very excited for this page one hundred. Greg Pak writing a new Darth Vader series. Huh. And they've had a Darth Vader series by Kieran Gillen, which I thought was a masterpiece. Charles Salson, a very strong one. And they, each of those series uh, explore different facets of Vader's life. Um, and this one is right after Luke gets away from Cloud City. And apparently Vader goes on just a warpath um, as he tries to explore the secrets of Luke's origins. So I'm definitely going to try this. Mm. Marvel is – I mean I think, again, I've said this many times. Their, their Star Wars stuff since they got the license back has just been almost uniformly outstanding. So and by the way, I'll be seeing the new film tomorrow night, gentlemen. So yeah, I'll be seeing it Friday. So I'm um, yeah. uh, I'm I, I'm I'm trying not to look at it at, at the internet. Let's put it that way because my uh, my enthusiasm is going down a little bit. So, uh, so, so we'll see. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't look at I don't look at anything, so I have no idea. But I'm I'm wor- I've been worried. I've said it on the podcast. I've been worried. I really hope that I walk out at least liking most of it because well. Yeah, I uh, you share your trepidation, Ian. Honestly, I'd forgotten that this movie was even coming out until the commercials started appearing a couple of weeks ago. And each one that I've seen has made me 
a little less confident that I am going to walk out of that theater uh, with a positive view well, of what I've just seen. So I'm, I'm probably uh, not going to get to see it until the other side of Christmas. But we'll, well, we'll our yeah. listenership can look forward to our review in the not-too-distant future. Mm-hmm. Yep. Last few things I want to call out that I'm going to have to depart on um, – in the trade section, this is fun. On page 107, Adventure into Fear omnibus hardcover. So this collects th- – this series did reprints of, of Atlas-era monster stuff. So you get like Lee, Kirby, Ditko. Then they, when they did original material, they introduced Man-Thing into it, as they call me, or the Shambling Muck Monster. Um, and then they got uh, Thog, the Nether Spawn. <laughs> <laughs> one dar oh this is great stuff Murd. morbius the living vampire um didn't howard the duck appear in adventures into fear sure sure yeah, yeah he, that's his first appearance in a, in a man thing story yeah, which i'm surprised yeah. i don't mention here in the copy so unless he appeared after issue 31 i've forgotten i must say but that's great a combination of funky marvel bronze age and atlas era reprints and then on page again if i had money i'd buy this page 108 oh Oh, just slapping the book against my knee right now. And just the complete collection of Steve Ditko's Doctor Strange run from the Silver Age in hardcover. hundred bucks before the discount. Ah, oh, what a feast. It's when you think about the visual style. Remember, we went, we went to the museum in Philly, the Marvel exhibit. How well they nailed the Doctor Strange Exhibit in that museum. Oh, yes. mm-hmm. the psychedelic, the immersive psychedelic yeah. visuals. You know, it, it was. I mean, it was Ditko's art come to life in three dimensions. Yeah, I, I, I even got a little emotional. They did such a wonderful. That that was a great exhibit. Oh, fantastic! Very fun way to spend a Saturday afternoon among good friends. You're damn right, brother. You're damn right. And Ian, you you did see that exhibit after us, did correct? Yep, the very last day was opened. That's right. Okay. Yep. So, all right, guys, I got to run. No worries. I will leave the rest in your more than capable hands, and uh, we will all talk very soon, brothers. Yep, and uh, since I probably won't talk to you before then, uh, have a happy and a healthy Christmas. And you have a happy Hanukkah, brother. Same. Thank you. Shalom. (laughs) (laughs) Good night, my friends. Take care. All right. Good night, Chris, and Merry Christmas. Same to you, brother. Ciao. Okie dokie. Uh, Chris can rest easy that he was correct. I just looked up uh, the first appearance of Howard the Duck, and it was Adventure into Fe- Adventures into Fear number 19. Huh. Yep, so well, it should there be included in that collection. He's right. That they that really should have been mentioned in the copy. That's pretty major oversight. Somebody fell asleep at the wheel. Hmm. <laughs> uh, so I've gone on page 94. Four. I, I, he mentioned the what, what came right right before it, but didn't mention Dark Agnes number one, uh, written by Becky Cloonan, uh, with with art by Luca Pizzari, and uh, it's uh, Robert E. Howard's Swordswoman in her first solo comic series. So, getting the uh, the female side of uh, of uh, of the Conan universe. Uh, g- getting going here, and uh, and yeah, Becky Becky Cloonan writing Dark Agnes. I'm that that's that's intriguing just mm-hmm. as it is. Yep, she's <laughs> a great choice for this property. Yeah, definitely. And uh, J- and Jim Zub takes over the main Conan series on the very next page, on page number th- uh, whatever page number it is, but uh, Co- Conan the Barbarian num- number thirteen. Mm. Yep, he's uh, Zub is a big fan of uh, Dungeons and Dragons. 
Yes, he is. The game and stories based on the game. So you can bring a little bit of that sensibility to Conan's adventures. And uh, Roger Antonio, the artist, uh, is another artist that worked with the Benson sisters on their run on uh, uh, Birds of Prey. So Nice. And uh, Zub was the one who ran my uh, my Rick and Morty Dungeons and Dragons uh, panel that I went to at New York Comic Con. So ah. yes, very 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 much uh, in the, in the right realm. <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> All right, you got anything before or after that for Marvel? Uh, in the trades and hardcover section, I actually don't think I do. Okay, uh, let me see right here. Uh, he mentioned Ditko is strange, correct? Oh, you bet he did. That's what uh, got That's him off on thought. that uh, misty-eyed tangent about the Marvel exhibit. That's what I thought. Okay, excellent. And then I'm just going to mention that it is official, uh, I guess, as of this as of this second trade paperback, that they are just going to be collecting Dawn of X uh, issue by issue as opposed to series by series, which is very, very not what Marvel tends to do. Uh. Um so that they're they're if you want to read Dawn of X and trade, as of now, it'll be X Men number two, Marauders number two, Excalibur number two, New Mutants number two, X Force number two, and Fallen Angels number two in this collection. Hmm. And then volume three will have issue threes of 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 that. So I guess they want to drive home that this is all connected. Yeah, it's more of that uh, Hickman style uh, uh, out of the box. Uh, Variant structural thinking. Yeah, basically. Uh, and then other than that, let's see. Uh, yeah, just a whole bunch of advertisements for other stuff it looks like. Uh, War of Realm Strength Force. Da, 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 da. Obviously a new volume of Immortal Hulk. And yeah, I think that's pretty much it for me on the on the trades too. So, oh, you know what? Actually, let's mention this. Uh, Invaders Volume 2, Dead in the Water. Uh Sadarsky and uh, and Magno and Geis uh, finishing out their uh, their Invaders run. Uh, this is going to be on sale March 2020. So if you didn't pick it up in trade, uh, both trades will be available uh, for you to uh, to finish out that uh, 12 issue run on the Invaders. Yep, that uh, 12th issue just hit the stands this very afternoon. Nice. Well, they're doing it nice and fast then. Uh, yep, that's no flies on Marvel when it comes to collecting things. <laughs> The strength of theirs Definitely. for uh, the, like the last twenty or thirty years. Uh, <laughs> let's see. That's it. That's it for me. But, but uh, go ahead. Um, let's see. On page one thirty nine, there's a trade of a surprisingly good Future Foundation miniseries by Jeremy Whitley, uh, with some uh, really good artwork by Will Robson, Paco Diaz, and Alti Firmancia. Um, yes, and that's. Uh, it's uh, a couple of former members of Power Pack, uh, the Intelligent Dragon Man, the disembodied head of a Moloid. Yeah, these are characters that were around uh, for the most part in uh, in Matt Fraction's take on the FF or Future Foundation, and uh, so this is them uh, being reunited uh, as a in a search for the Molecule Man. <laughs> yes, yeah, so Owen Reese, one of my favorite Marvel characters. So that's what kind of what suckered me in, but uh, then I was just kind of stuck around for the storytelling value. So good miniseries, I recommend it. Uh, that was uh, Hickman's run, by the way. Uh, uh, Fraction came right after uh, Hickman's run uh, for the uh, the other Future Foundation series that had Ant-Man in it and a bunch of other guys. Oh, okay. Well, well yeah, I know I mean, they were introduced during Hickman's Fantastic Four run, right? Yes. Yes, they were. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think when they were spun off into their own series, though, it was Fraction writing and all red doing the art. Got it. Okay. Yeah. See, I didn't read very much of Hickman's Fantastic Four run. It uh, 
turned me off a bit. But I definitely <laughs> picked up uh, Fraction and All Red on uh, the Future Foundation, the spinoff. Yep. All right. And uh, so. just to uh, boil Jamie D's undead blood a little further, on page 143, Captain America Epic Collection, Blood and Glory, TPB. It's uh, more from Mark Grunewald's cap run that uh, Jamie didn't like all that much, but that I did like. Oh, boy. <laughs> it includes Cap Wolf, because he was uh, a wolf once. <laughs> Jeremy. <laughs> Keep him flying, Ian. Hell yeah. We, were, we, we we miss you, Drunk Cap. All righty. Rest of the book. Rest of the book. Here we go. Fantastic. Okay. Two-man core of discovery. Sets Let's forth into it. the unsettled wilds of the back of the previews catalog once again. <laughs> and uh, Dynamite. Uh, let's see. What do they start me off with here? They have a text piece, and what is that text piece for? That's the question. Ah, it, it's for that, uh, that Army of Darkness series coming out, Death to Army of Darkness. Uh, and uh, I, I've always been a fan of, of, the, uh, of the Army of Darkness uh, overall mythos. So this, this is uh, continuing in that with uh, Ryan Parrott on writing and uh, Jacob Edgar uh, uh, also on uh, the art for that. Groovy, baby. Yeah, Matt sent us um Army of Darkness uh, quote as part of his last email when he agreed to be a part of our Cornucopia of Comics conversation episode. And it went, of course, right over my head because <laughs> I've never been as big a fan of that movie as you. When we were like, te- like young teenagers, you know, like junior high age, you know, that, that was the sort of thing that he would always want to watch when I would go over to his house, and I watched it with him a couple of times, but it never really amused me quite as much as it did him, to be honest. Fair enough. But this yeah, is the kind it, of thing he might be interested in. Yeah, perhaps, yeah. That, that, a, few, a few of the Army of Darkness series have been pretty cool, but there have been so many miniseries over the years that it's really hard to keep track. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Dynamite does tend to repeat themselves on franchises like these. Yeah, they do. And uh, speaking of franchises and repeating, on uh, page 178, uh, James Bond, the complete Warren Ellis hardcover omnibus. So if you want everything that Warren Ellis wrote about James Bond in one omnibus collection, (laughs) yes, that is the plural of omnibus, I don't care, uh, then uh, go ahead and pick this one up. It's got all 12 issues of Warren Ellis's James Bond run, all in one package. Yeah, I hope they uh, do the same thing for Greg Pak, because he had some pretty good stories to tell, too. I hope so. Well, this is all in uh, the upcoming uh, last Daniel Craig uh, James Bond movie, unless they throw more money in his face. <laughs> yeah, when he finished the last one, he said he'd sooner take a bullet in his head, I think, than uh, play the character <laughs> again. But he, he seemed to have gotten over that <laughs> pretty quickly, because, he's, as you said, he's, he's doing one more. Well, luckily, the bullet that they put in his face was covered in in bills, so that's 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 all it took. Yeah, that that, that cushioned the blow a bit, I think. Yeah, he is excellent at Knives Out. He's uh, he's the uh, detective character in that movie. And, I just need to continue to praise that over and over again. Yes, and how convincing is his accent, by the way? Surprisingly good. In fact, it's an entirely different Southern accent than he used in the in the last the last time he used a Southern accent. Um, uh, in uh, the, uh, now I'm blanking on it all of a sudden. Uh, the uh, the movie he was in with Chris Pine, 
that uh, the, the bank heist movie that uh, that came out a uh, couple of years back that was up for best picture. I really uh, wish I could help you out here, Ian, but I see so few movies. Yeah, hold on here. Let's see what the internet tells me. Chris Pine. Uh, whatever. It'll 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 come to me eventually. Yep, it'll rhino its way out of there. Rhino. <laughs> yeah, but it, it is it is a surprisingly uh, coherent uh, Southern accent. That you don't really you don't really like pick up that he's uh, putting on an accent for the most part, which is which is always a good thing. Yes, it is. If he, mm-hmm. if he can draw you in and make you well, – well, make his performative identity as Daniel Craig, British actor, become transparent, then he's done his job. Yep. What I was thinking of was an entirely different movie called Hell or High Water. That is not the southern movie that I was thinking of for Daniel Craig, so I'm just going to keep looking that up while you continue to say things in breeze. Okay. Uh, well, there's – I think there's very little that I'm interested in dynamite this time around. I'm still uh, getting that uh, uh, the, the uh, Christopher Priest's Vampirella series, uh, and it uh, looks like mm-hmm. issue number eight is uh, his little more or less unofficial celebration of Black History Month because it's got some covers of Vampy as a, a woman of African descent. Hmm. And then there's that, and then there's issue number five of Black Terror, which I'm continuing to get because Black Terror is a cool, uh, now public domain, golden age character, and uh, writer Max Bemis is telling a tale of him in the 1970s. So, I'm down for that. Uh, But that's all I got for Dynamite. All right, uh, it's all I have, too. What I was thinking of was Logan Lucky uh, with uh, Adam Driver and, uh, and Daniel Craig. So uh, in that one, Daniel Craig uses a completely different Southern accent than what he wanted without using a knife out. So he proves his range a little bit. Good, good. <laughs> Probably employing some good dialect coaches. Yes, indeed. Uh, over in Boom on page 194, uh, we served the people. <laughs> it's a cookbook. Uh, <laughs> uh, how to cook four. 100 people. How to cook 100 people. Who knows? Uh, An inspiring graphic memoir in the tradition of the best we could do, and they called us enemy. Uh, In China, an entire generation's most formative years took place in remote rural areas where city kids were sent to the countryside to become rusticated youth and partake in Mao's mandated Great Leap Forward. An inspiring tale, Emil Burrell, shares her mother's true experience during the down-to-the-countryside movement of the early 1970s. This sounds like a really, really cool slice-of-life story, and I can sort of see the Eisners. (laughs) It's winning already in my head, just from the description and from the art. This looks damn good. I think I can see those Eisners descending from the heaven, too, Ian. (laughs) And then... uh, Simon Spurrier has a new miniseries uh, on the very next page, Alienated Number 1. That's on page 196. New sci-fi, tr- sci-fi thriller for fans of Paper Girls and Something is Killing the Children. Something is Killing the Children. Yes. It must be read in that tone of voice every time. Every single time. And it's got a, a pull quote by Brian K. Vaughn saying that it's a brilliant concept with gorgeous art and one of my favorite writers. Alienated is an easy add to my pull list uh so yeah damn good pedigree there <laughs> yes, 
Simon Spurrier is a reliable source of entertainingly crazy ideas. Yes, he is. Yep. So I'm 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 down for this, and I'll be picking it up in trade paperback once all six issues are out, probably. Page 202, Boom is giving us uh, a trade of uh, the first arc of Kieran Gillen and Dan Mora's Once and Future, which is a modern-day riff on uh, some Arthurian myths and legends, uh, which was good enough to be promoted from uh, a miniseries to an ongoing series. But nice. Here is that arc that was going to be the six-issue miniseries, uh, collected in a single volume. Very cool. And bouncing back up to page 200... This looks freaking adorable. Wonder Pony by by Marie Spinal. It's about a middle school wasn't it wasn't exactly stable before, but it became becomes a real struggle when sixth grader uh, Louison is is given the strength and powers of a pony by a tiny pink pony that insists on being called Jean Pierre. <laughs> Thank you, you have sold me. What else would you call a tiny pig pony, really? I, I know, right? Clearly. <laughs> the art is freaking adorable. <laughs> so this is, this is a, it's sort of like a manga-inspired, uh, cutesy art style that, uh, that will lend itself very well to the insanity of that, uh, of that premise. Yep, it's cute, all right. Mm-hmm. And then volume one of Something is Killing the Children is collected on page 203, right beneath Once in Future, volume one by Karen Gillen. So we got some good trade paperbacks, like like Chris is saying, if only we all had the money. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, that's a concern for all of us. So many good books, so little money, and so little time in which to enjoy them all. Mm-hmm. But as Chris says, and I, I my, my sentiment exactly, hope springs eternal. And one yes, day we'll be able to read all the good stories that we would like to read. Well, you know, at least one of us has a uh, has a time travel device on a, on on hand <laughs> to perhaps give him a little more time. Just any time you want, Ian. Just let me know. I'll I'll give you a ride. <laughs> right on. Burn through some of the things in your to be read pile. Ooh, and there's so many, so so many. Mm-hmm. Uh. Jim Henson's Labyrinth Coronation, Volume 1, soft cover on page 214. It reminds me of the babe. What babe? The girl with the power. What power? Cy <laughs> Spurrier yet again, by the way, with uh, illustrated by, by Daniel Bayliss. Some good pedigree on that. And uh, that's it with Boom for me. I am scrolling down, scrolling down, scrolling down. And it looks like they've got an, a, a Steven Universe original graphic novel softcover this month instead of just a, an issue of the ongoing Steven series. I don't know if that means that that series has come to an end or what, or maybe it's just taking a month off uh, so they can focus on this. But it's uh, 144 pages uh, of a new, um, somewhat extended Steven and the Crystal Gem story. Nice. Always up for some Steven action. Mm-hmm. And we'll be getting more of the animated series very soon. Yeah, is that uh, like a time jump thing, uh, Stephen in the future? Yes, it is. Uh, the uh, The movie uh, does that time jump, and we're just going to continue off uh, after the events of the movie with the, the next uh, series once it happens. All right, very cool. Yeah, love the movie. Movie, movie is one of the most gorgeous animated uh, TV movies I've seen in quite some time. Mm. 
Yep, I haven't seen it. I've, I've kind of been out of touch with Stephen and uh, his, his uh, comfortable little world in Beach City. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm a, f- a few seasons behind, honestly, because it's just Cartoon Network is so weird about well, whenever it has a series that becomes popular with uh, older viewers like Adventure yeah. Time, uh, they tend to not want to give it as much airtime as they once did, and it becomes very hard to catch any episodes of it. Well, I think I think they still have a deal running with Hulu, so if you're ever able to steal somebody's login and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and log into that, you might be able to catch up a little bit with uh, with your Steven. Yeah. I'm not getting my hopes up. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go down to page 230. Okay. I believe this is a resolicitation because uh, I, well, then again, it might just be the solicitation of the soft cover because I just got the hardcover. Uh, I uh, partake in a Secret Santa event every year with the, uh, the Frog Pants community. Frog Pants is a uh, a uh, podcasting community uh, of all of uh, Scott Johnson and Brian Ibbett's uh, various uh, podcasts that they run, including the Morning Stream, uh, Film Sack, Coverville, and a bunch of other podcasts. And uh, one of my gifts that I received, along with a copy of Assassin's Creed 3 for the uh, Nintendo Switch, was Showtime at the Apollo, the epic tale of Harlem's legendary theater. And uh, this is the first time it's going to be available in paperback, and it's all about the uh, the history of the Apollo Theater. So, well worth picking up. Yeah, that looks like an interesting story. And, um, yeah, I've got that marked as a definite maybe here in my own catalog. Excellent. Well, I'll, I'll let you know how it is once I read through the hardcover. All right. Uh, let's see. Next thing I've got is... Um uh, the thing that Aftershock Comics is uh, leading with in their section of the book on page 236, the man who booped up time. Oh, I'm in on this. <laughs> well, you know, I think we've both got a certain soft spot for uh, time travel stories. I, I think I think I think I have a soft a soft spot for John Layman. Mm. Period. So this yeah. is that's immediately got me drawn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that too, that too. Uh, but yes, a time-twisted sci-fi action comedy, a butterfly effect noir, uh, about, uh, your average everyday high-tech lab worker who faces temptation to steal a time machine and, I guess, do the Perdegaton thing, only to meet a alternate reality version of himself who warns him exactly how badly things are going to go if he gives into that urge, and then I guess he gives into that urge anyway, and... Oh, actually, the, the the alternate version of himself uh, eggs him on, and, uh, well, th- things go wrong regardless. <laughs> uh, did, did, did you ever read uh, Infinite Vacation by Nick Spencer? I will. I, what I remember most about it is how late it was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sure as hell was. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I I I'm reminded of that a little bit in in premise here, um, and and that's not a bad thing because I, I I did enjoy that. The last issue was a bit cuckoo bananas, but uh, it's it seems like it's along the same lines. And uh, Carl Carl Mostart's art uh, from the previous year, uh, I'm I'm very <laughs> it sells me even more than uh, than than the layman on writing. It's 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 kooky and zany, and yeah, I'm 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 completely going to pick this book up mm. at some point. Yep, I like the uh, samples that we're seeing here. Yep. Aftershock continues to have some of the best independent comics in the biz. And they also have God Killers number one coming out uh, by Mark Sable and Ma'an House. And uh, Abdul Alha- Alhazred is a Arab-American folklore professor turned soldier 
whose fear of death stems from uncertainty about the existence of an afterlife. Then he joins the God Killers, a special forces unit tasked with fighting insurgents who use myth- mythological creatures as weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> was not expecting that to turn that way <laughs> when I was when I was saying it, and then it did, and then suddenly I'm like, all right, so this this isn't going to be the typical war story. No, sir, it's going to be uh, a weird war tale. Yep. Mythological creatures as weapons of mass destruction. That, that phrase alone, I think, is, has hooked me. And yep. the fact that uh, you know, the, the main character's name is Abdul al-Hazred, that's actually uh, a Lovecraft reference. Um, ah. Because uh, in the, the stories of Lovecraft, Abdul al-Hazred was the mad Arab sorcerer who uh, wrote the Necronomicon. Oh, okay. So we're definitely going to go in a Cthulhu direction here, and those green tentacles snaking down into the uh, cover image of number one probably bring that across pretty well, too. Nice. So, yep, I think I may have to give this one a try. (laughs) Right on. Oh, and uh, a little something for Western fans, too. Uh, On uh, pages 240 and 241, Undone by Blood, the Shadow of a Wanted Man. By Lonnie Nadler and Zach Thompson writers and Sami Kivela artist. Yes, and it's a ooh, it's it's a western set in the seventies too, not the eighteen seventies either. It's a nineteen seventies western. Hmm, fascinating. Don't see many of those. Her only ally is an old west novel that follows famed gunslinger Solomon Eaton. So I'm guessing there will be like a story within a story. Her, I guess uh, so, yeah. Yeah, the main character's way of drawing help and inspiration from uh, her only ally is this book. So uh, she'll be – Solomon Eden will be helping her in a somewhat indirect way by allowing her to read his adventures. And uh, then she uses them as inspiration to do what she's got to do in the not-so-old west of 1970s Arizona. <laughs> got to do what you got to do. All the time. <laughs> uh, I'm going down to – 246 as uh, finally after false start we get volume one of second coming i know we mentioned the first issue on a previous previews but here is the full collection of what once was canceled and has since been revived by ahoy uh, mark russell and richard pace's second coming comes to trade paperback mm-hmm. And, you know, I had my doubts about this series. I'm not entirely in love with it now that I've read the first several issues, but mm. it is at least thoughtful and uh, well-researched satire of the Christian religion and its role in modern society. Mark Russell is good at that. He's one of the best satirists working in comics these days, even if he is sometimes a better satirist than a storyteller. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, I was not uh, overly offended by uh, this first miniseries, and I would uh, encourage people to at least give it a try. Good enough for me. And then 248, just because we love mentioning Norton whenever we can. Norton. Volume 2 of Grumble, Raising Hell in the Garden State. Love the title. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's Norton, it's dogs, enough said. Yep, that's, you, you don't even need uh, the, like, the, the demon summoning angle. It's just <laughs> Norton telling yeah. another pug story with help from our friend <laughs> Raver Roberts. Uh, give me more, give me more. Okay, I'll give you more. The Goon, number nine, right above that, is guest written by Roger Langridge of uh, those Muppet comics and also Snarked, uh, based on uh, the, the work of Lewis Carroll. Uh, he's a 
great writer of, of absurdist fantasy, and uh, the art is by Mike Norton. 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 <laughs> Man, he's everywhere this month. Right. He's got, the, he's, he's got art in that DC collection. He's got... Uh, He's got, oh, man, so much coming out. All the Morton you need. All the Norton you need. <laughs> right. We're supporting Norton here on CGS. Darn tootin'. Yes, and Roger Langridge ain't bad either. Yep. And he's still putting out Crankcast, too. Yeah, you know, I noticed uh, you know, that Lady Killer trade uh, Chris mentioned under uh, Dark Horse had, uh, and featuring Crank written right there on the front cover. So he, he's, huh. he's getting around, too. Yes, he is. All right, I got, uh, uh, yeah, why not? Augie and the Cockroaches, number three. That's on page 255. Uh, it, it, it's completely the solicitation that, uh, that that got me interested in this because I don't think I'd be mentioning it otherwise. It's just it's so eye, eye-catching, the way that they designed this page. So clearly they have they have succeeded uh, but I, I think I mentioned issue one before that there was a YouTube uh, uh, animated series that's now become a uh, a comic book. But but yeah, they did a very good job of catching my eye yet again with uh, with issue three here. Sa check and Dean Rankine uh, on on Rankine on the art. So right on there. Hmm. See on page two fifty nine from uh, Archie. Uh, we've got another uh, Archie mashup this time uh, with uh, the. Uh, 60s by way of the 80s uh, classic rock sensation, the B-52s. Lots of big fun and big hair. But it wasn't a rock. <laughs> it was. A rock lobster. <laughs> rock lobster. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm picturing, though, is not Fred Schneider, but Peter Griffin, as you say that. Yeah, I, I, it's hard for me to to see anything else in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> this is what Family Guy does to people. Yep. And then issue five, meaning that there will be a trade coming very soon of Archie 1955, uh, comes out this month on page 260. Right. More of Wade and Augustine's uh, Archie through the decades. I hope they're going to continue with this and give us Archie in the 60s and so forth. I'm pretty sure you can... Guess that that's going to happen. All right. Well, they've already got my money. <laughs> uh, nothing in Aspen that I can see. Uh, however, I will. Eh, you know what? I'll, I'll mention this just for the fact that it is Michael Turner. Uh, Michael Turner Art Edition, The Best of Aspen Comics, Volume 1, is on page 263. So if you're missing Michael Turner Art, you can get some more here. Uh, it's uh, you know clearly uh, mostly archival, with occasionally they they throw in some uh, you know sketches that we haven't seen of his before, but uh, more uh, uh, Michael Turner goodness out of Aspen this month. And it looks like Aspen's trying to uh, reel in some new readers with um, things they're calling primers, which are uh, twenty-five cent little uh, anthologies, crestomathies, just. Uh, uh, Bits and pieces of significant uh, issues and stories featuring certain characters and series and properties, what have you. Um, so they've got uh, the Fathom Primer. There's a Charismagic Primer, a Journey Primer, hmm. Soulfire Primer, Executive Assistant Isis, Iris Primer, and uh, they're all a uh, quarter a pop. It's on page 265. Huh. Not a bad idea. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be a bunch of comic shops that wind up just throwing them in the bags if they're 
by 25 cents. Yep, I, I see that happening too, just giving them out as uh, free promo goods. Yep. Down on uh, page 271 under Black Mask, uh, Sex, Death, Revolution, a trade paperback uh, by Mags Visaggio. Pretty sure I mentioned at least one of those issues in the past previews, but uh, here is the collection for issues one through five. Okay. She's uh, written a few things for Black Mask, hasn't she? Yes, she has, as well as well as a bunch of stuff for DC, and uh, at least one of her works is being turned into a Netflix series, if I remember correctly. Yeah. She's uh, come up through IDW, or I'm pretty sure Valiant also. She's been around, as you know. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, scrolling down a little bit more. A whole bunch of uh, continuing series. Not a lot of new issues of note, so continuing further down... Did uh, did Chris mention the spirit and 80th anniversary celebration before he left? Um, I, don't, I don't believe he did. Almost sure he didn't. Yes. Yeah, so okay. All right. Well, then that's what I will mention here. Page 281, 80th anniversary of the spirit. Hot damn. Uh, will Eisner's famous creation, uh, Colors by Laura Martin. I was reminded the other day that there was a uh, a TV movie of the spirit Apparently, back in the uh, back in the very late seventies, early eighties, that I never even knew existed, I might have to try to track down at some point. Shoot, I, um, I never heard of it either. Yeah, um, I'll, 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 it was on one of the. Uh, there's a spinoff of the toys that made us called the movies that made us, and it and it came up in passing at some point, and I was like, wow, I had no idea <laughs> that this thing happened, and it was it was starring. Uh, Starring some guy I'd never even freaking heard of either. It was 1987. There was a TV movie of the of the Spirit, and uh, the Spirit was played by somebody by the name of Sam J. Jones. However, uh, Ellen Durant Dolan in it was played by Nana Visitor of Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. Well, now wait a minute. What's, isn't Sam J. Jones the guy who played Flash Gordon? I believe you are, are correct. Well, there we go. That probably explains that? why he got cast to play another like old timey pulp action comic book character. Yeah, go figure. Huh. Yeah, I, I didn't even put two and two together in my head until you just mentioned that. Yep, <laughs> it is a fairly generic sounding name. Yeah, no, true, true that, true that. But uh, yeah, so that's uh, that was back in 1987. Hmm. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, I forget which, uh, which ep- episode of the movies that made us, it came up on, but somebody who worked on that wound up getting picked up for something else because of his work on the spirit. Uh, it might've been the home alone episode, not that I think about it, but I'll have to look back into that. But anyway, anywho, uh, deviations aside, 80th anniversary celebration of the spirit, uh, collecting some of the, uh, the, the best works with all new coloring, uh, by, by Laura Martin. On, on top of uh, Will Eisner uh, uh, art. So there we go. All right. Very cool. Yep. And uh, this is uh, another thing from the uh, new startup Clover Press, which apparently is founded by some uh, former employees of IDW. Um, an offering from Craig Yo and his Yo Comics on page 282. It's another 80-page giant for twelve ninety nine, And it's reprinting a bunch of classic pirate comics. I guess they're gambling that the Watchmen series will put people in the mood for uh, piratical tales. Uh, so it's a collection of uh, old-time uh, pirate comics uh, featuring artwork uh, by people like Frank Frazetta, Reed Crandall, Graham Ingalls, Dick Briefer, and others. 
All right. That's cool with me. <laughs> not much of a pirate uh, uh, comics guy, but uh, I think – actually, now that I think about it, I think probably the only pirate, pirate comics I've ever actually read were Watchmen. <laughs> so, so go figure. <laughs> uh, they were out there. It was a viable genre once upon a time. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah I'd, I'd yeah. be in the right mood to read a pirate story. Probably the right time for that would be like early October when I'm down in Stone Harbor, like the combination mm-hmm. of the nautical setting and uh, the encroachment of Halloween. Yeah, actually, I think I'm going to go ahead and uh, just put that on my shopping list and uh, <laughs> just suck it away for October of like 2033. Nice. <laughs> uh, coming soon to a time bubble near you. And by soon, <laughs> I mean 2033. Yeah, soon, soon is relative, you know. Exactly. Uh, page 285, uh, under Disney editions, the art of Mulan Disney edition classic. Uh, there's a, uh, live action Mulan movie that I'm actually very interested in. That's going to be coming out next year, uh, which makes sense why they're going to try to republish, uh, the artwork behind Mulan. But Mulan is one of the most visually stunning, uh, Disney animated features that I feel like gets overlooked at times for just how wonderful the art was. Um, and now he, now we're going to have a nice uh, hardcover collection putting together a bunch of the uh, the artwork behind the movie as well as some stills and and uh, you know works uh, inspired by the movie as well. So that that'd be a, a nice coffee table book for fans of uh, of Milan or Disney in general. Hmm. Wonder if there'll be a little uh, sidebar article in it uh, about the Sichuan sauce. <laughs> I certainly hope so. Because <laughs> we want that McNugget sauce, Morty. I just I, when, when I moved out of my last place, I had at least like three packets of the Szechuan sauce uh, still sitting on the side from when it was back at uh, McDonald's that I wound up throwing out. Because you know what? It's not that good. <laughs> <laughs> I live in New York. I can get actual Szechuan sauce if mm. I want if I want it from a damn Chinese restaurant. Mm, right, you do that. It's, <laughs> exactly. It, it's a very special <laughs> thing to have that. Uh, <laughs> To have access to that, yeah, yep. I'm willing to bet that uh, McDonald's didn't really use the same formula they did uh, the first time around, though. Yeah, no, they, they, a peppercorn never touched the sauce. Let's put it that way. It's it it, it just tastes like weak sriracha. Yeah. <laughs> really, what's the point? Uh, and then uh, for the kids, on the very next page, on page two eighty six. Star Wars R two D two is lost hardcover. Really, I mean, that, that, do I even have to explain any more than that? It's a kids book where R two D two is lost. They're trying to find his way. Like, come on, and that's he, so cute. He's lost on Endor, no less. Yep, it's an endorable adventure, and oh. that pun is not mine. I disavow myself from it immediately. Uh, that comes from the copy. <laughs> oh, it's so bad. Aim your tomatoes elsewhere. <laughs> Uh, oh boy. I'm sure whoever came up with that was very proud of themselves. <laughs> uh, yes, I'm sure that that anonymous person who is well insulated from tomato attack must be. Yes. Hmm. Page 288, Awesome Minds, comic book creators hardcover by Alejandro Arbona and Chelsea O'Mara. Did you know that Superman debuted in 1938 and is considered to have fueled the birth of, of the superhero craze? Or that Katsuhiro Otomo's Akira was instrumental in introducing manga to the world outside of Japan? 
I did know both those things, but mm-hmm. comic books are now fully part of mainstream pop culture. And this engaging read introduces kids ages 8 to 12 to the pivotal creators of the world's most beloved comics. So, yeah, anybody who's looking to know a little bit more about what they're reading, this would be a good thing to introduce to your kiddos. Right. Or uh, a little bit more about uh, the material on which your favorite movies are based. Mm-hmm. That too. Uh, it looks like on page 303, there's going to be uh, some um, comics based on the new iteration of She-Ra. Hmm. Yep, coming out through graphics with an X. G-R-A-P-H-I-X. She-Ra, book one, The Legend of the Fire Princess. Interesting. I, I heard that they're, that they just announced yet another version of He-Man on top of the version of He-Man that they already announced, and this is going to be a reboot, so I'm wondering if that version of He-Man is going to tie into She-Ra, or if it's also going to stand on its own. It's getting very confusing out there. Mm, well, it's, it's a big multiverse. Yes, it is. <laughs> and at one page before that, uh, a book that I saw featured at uh, New York Comic Con is available in graphic novel, The Boy Who Became a Dragon, The Bruce Lee Story. Uh, and uh, it's, it's a graphics first biography uh, telling the astonishing story of martial arts legend Bruce Lee. Um, and uh, I I was really interested in this when I, when I saw it at the uh, panel. I was at it at uh, New York Comic Con, and uh, now... It's out uh, for everybody to see. All right. You're a fan of uh, classic uh, martial arts movies. Yeah, yep. This seems like a must-buy. Mm-hmm. And then if you're a fan of uh, old-school Phantom, they've got the complete Don Newton, the Phantom hardcover uh, right there on the bottom of page 306. Uh, yes, the late, great Don Newton. Mm-hmm. Yep, this is uh, some of his uh, first work in professional comics, actually. Got his start at Charlton before... Moving on to DC. Nice. Uh, Iron Circus Comics on page 308. The Band Book Club. Uh, when Kim Hyun Suk started college in 1983, she was ready for her world to open up. After acing her exams and sort of convincing her traditional mother that it was a good idea for a woman to go to college, she looked forward to soaking up the ideas of Western literature far from the drudgery she was promised at her family's restaurant. But the literature class would prove to be just the start of a massive turning point, still focused on reading, but with life or death stakes she could never have imagined. This was during South Korea's Fifth Republic, a military regime that uh, entrenched its power through censorship, torture, and the murder of professors. Damn. This is going to be some heavy stuff, but wow. uh, that was going on in re- South Korea. That's that was coming. Yep, South Korea, exactly. Yep, I was completely unaware until reading this this copy. So, yep, it's... history right there, mm-hmm. right there in black, white, and many other colors. Uh, well, actually, no, it is just black and white. Kind of think of it, but, <laughs> but yeah, even so, in, in with pictures, you know, it's <laughs> brought to life in graphic detail. This. Interesting, and to those of us in this podcast, uh, unknown period in uh, South Korean history. Yep. So looking, looking forward to, to, to that story as, as it's released, and uh, might be another one we hear more about at some point. Hmm. That's, that's going to be an eye-opening read. Mm-hmm. Things you can learn through comics. Mm-hmm. Let, let no one tell you that they're not educational. Hell Yeah. 
And uh, we've got a uh, autobiography about a, a Japanese manga legend out on page 315 from New York Review Comics, The Man Without Talent. Uh, <laughs> that's a little uh, self uh, uh, dig there. On, on <laughs> such a thing as being too self-effacing. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a Yoshiharo Tsugi's autobiography about a struggling artist in the first full-length work by the great Yoshiharo Tsugi available in the English language. So that's that immediately has me sold because anybody that I haven't gotten to read in uh, in you know, out of Japan getting his uh, his works told, I'm in. Day five of Catalyst Prime by Gail Simone, uh, issue five that is because it is day five issue five right. on page three twenty six. Once again, looking forward to seeing that collected in full, but I do have the first issue waiting to be read. As do I. <laughs> It'll be waiting a little bit longer in my apartment. One would think. <laughs> One would be tragically correct. <laughs> hey, guess what? We get to actually do two morrows this time. That's right. Chris isn't even here to... <laughs> I don't even try to describe that uh, <laughs> trademark noise he makes. Uh. There, yep, there it is. It's... <laughs> Oh, groan, gasp. Yep. Well, there's there's a, there's a some pretty awesome stuff coming out. And uh, the back issue number 119 that is solicited on page 349 ha- has me interested. It's uh, all about Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, and uh, they've got uh, interviews with uh, Tom DeFalco, Keith Giffen, Rob Liefeld, Al Milgram, uh, Mary Screens, Roger Stern, Jim Valentino, and more, plus Star Lord and Rocket Raccoon before the Guardians, and Chris Cl- with Chris Claremont and Mike Mignola, featuring a Bronze Age Guardian cover by their Copper Age artist Jim Valentino. Hmm. Yeah, the Guardians uh, quietly celebrated their fiftieth anniversary during this year. Hmm. I don't know that Marvel really acknowledged it uh, very openly, but yeah, their first appearance was in uh, in 1969. Wow. Surprised that uh, Marvel tends to celebrate these things whenever possible. I guess uh, I guess nobody got the memo. Yeah, I'll just leave it to tomorrow's to pick up on these things. <laughs> and I am almost ready for manga... But uh, I will mention on page 353, Dr. Tomorrow, number one of five. Uh, he's described as a rising star. Alejandro Arbona, with art by Jim Toe. Uh, Dr. Tomorrow, uh, and this is, you can pre-order all five issues of this, by the way, as a bundle. Um, and it's uh, a teen hothead and star athlete, Bart Sims, is about to meet the Valiant Universe's greatest hero, himself. So Valiant gets themselves a new teen hero in the form of Dr. Tomorrow. Yep, there will be time travel involved, never fear. Mm-hmm. And uh, just let it be known that this is actually uh, not a new character for Valiant. Uh, this is one that was uh, introduced in a 12-issue maxi-series back during the days of Acclaim Comics. Got in it. In the late 90s, yeah. So uh, there's, this is actually a, uh, this is a, a reboot, a reintroduction 
of an older character that um, very few people remember. So it might as well be a new character. Let's. <laughs> the only thing I remember from Acclaim comics were the Sliders comics that they put out, uh, oh, and yeah. uh, those were. Uh, I'm probably one of the few people who even remembers those. So go figure. I do remember them. I didn't remember that they were from Acclaim. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Acclaim. Uh, Acclaim had the. Uh, had the license to that, and uh, I think Rags Morales did uh, did art for some of those Sliders comics in some of his earliest works. All right. Well, it's beginning of uh, what would become a great talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's it for Valiant for me. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to continue to scroll, so if you got anything else, Smurred, by all means. Hmm. Uh, well, let's see. Hmm, something interesting from uh, Vault Comics on page 358. Finger Guns, number one. By pew, Disney. pew! <laughs> exactly. That's, that, that's just the sound effect that I will hear. And, and I'm guessing the characters will probably make the pew-pew sounds with their mouths, too. But uh, it's written by Justin Richards, art by Val Halverson. Two troubled teenagers discover they can manipulate emotions by firing finger guns. There will be laughs. There will be tears. There will be uncomfortable teen feelings and angst. Oh, yeah, and chaos. So much chaos. <laughs> and I just like kind of the uh, Storanko-esque uh, psychedelic 60s vibe that I'm getting from uh, the artwork that they're showing here. Nice. I think that more than anything else drew my attention to this solicit. So i um, probably uh, sample this series. Again, if only the subtitle was Pew Pew, that I'd be in even more. <laughs> or at least they could uh, you know, throw us a bone and put a little word bubble on the cover. Yeah, right. And uh, I've got my first manga on page 371. Uh, it's uh, out of Sublime Manga, who I believe are a new company. Uh, not really familiar with their works up, up until now, but uh, given volume one, sounds like it could be a lot of fun. Uh, Ritsuka Yunoyama is bored with it all, with school, with his basketball club, and even with his one true passion, playing guitar, until the day he finds his favorite hidden uh, napping spot occupied by a strange boy cradling a broken string guitar. At first, Yunoyama is nonplussed by Meiku Sato and his slightly odd behavior, but when on a whim, he asks the other boy to sing power of Meifuyu's voice pierces him to the core. So it looks like sort of a, uh, a coming together of a band uh, in, in Given. Which, uh, don't really see that uh, done too much in comic book form. No, you don't. Yeah. And then uh, over at Tokyo Pop, I will actually mention a Tokyo Pop comic on page 376. The Fox and the Little Tanuki, Volume 1, looks absolutely adorable. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it looks like a friendship between uh, exactly what it sounds like, a fox and a tanuki. Uh, but uh, it's uh, long ago the gods granted a few special animals great powers, but not all those animals used their magical abilities for good. Since so the fox spirit in particular grew too brash and arrogant, abusing his strength until the gods imprisoned him for his bad behavior. And then 300 years later, he's finally been released, but only on one condition. He can't have any of his abilities back until he successfully helps a Tanuki cub named Monpuchi become an assistant to the gods. It sounds, sounds like a, you know, very mystical and, uh, and very Japanese story. 
with a little bit of uh, the Mighty Ducks thrown in. Yes. <laughs> As the service community oh. surface, teaching this enthusiastic, annoying little tanuki cub how to be a good magical being. Quack, 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 quack. <laughs> you suppose the tanuki has the power to turn into a stone statue? Uh, it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> Page 383. Boy, oh boy. Hmm. For the first time in English, Transformers the manga. Soul, baby. <laughs> yes, and not only to you. This, I'm, I'm sure, is going to raise a lot of eyebrows among our listenership and beyond. Yeah, no, this, this is a huge get for Viz Media. And uh, uh, Autobahns and Decepticons out the wazoo here. Uh, and uh, it's uh, a collection of comics originally published in TV magazine in Japan as a companion, companion to the iconic animated series. It has never before been published in English until now. Hmm. Yeah, so this, this is manga dating back to the 80s, then. This was contemporary with the show. You got it, yep. Hmm. All right, and it's yeah. taken this long for it to be imported. Yeah, no, it's 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 amazing when stuff like that happens. I I felt the same about the uh, you know the bat manga uh, that 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 it took until you know the the two thousands for that to be released when you know that was coming back coming out back in the sixties. So, <laughs> uh. so and they're releasing it in a hardcover volume. I see. Yep. I assume there'll be a trade eventually. Oh, I'm sure there will be. Yeah, I think I'll probably hold out for that. More than likely. But, but yeah, this this is something that I would like to read. Yep. And then on page 387, we've got a new one from Eisner Award nominee uh, Ennio Asano, uh, best-selling author of Goodnight Ponpon, uh, comes Downfall, selling Copies is the only thing that matters. So what if your manga series just ended and you have no idea how to start the next one? Your marriage is breaking up. Your pure love of manga has been destroyed by the cruel reality of the industry, and nothing seems to fill the sucking void inside you. Find the secret combo for a hit manga series, and everything will be okay, right? Hmm. Getting a little bit uh, autobio and meta here, I think. Oh, you're damn right. Yeah. <laughs> Immediately, I'm reminded of Bakuman, um, which uh, was by the uh, creators of Death Note, and uh, that was uh, very much about the uh, you know the goings on of the manga scene. And I learned a lot about the industry from that. And uh, this seems like it would be uh, doing uh, a lot more, and probably even a, even more realistic take of what the uh, the downward spiral can be like sometimes for a creator. So I know the uncle of one of the main characters of Bakuman actually uh, took his own life oh uh, after uh, after you know failing at the manga industry. So That's it's a heady mistress sometimes, to say the least. Yep. And I think that's just about it for me. But uh, got anything else from you? Uh, not not from the manga section. I don't think there was anything I noticed uh, from uh, the uh, merchandise section in the back either. It's rarely anything back there that really appeals to me. All righty. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and save your voice from any more talking and uh, and wrap this baby up then. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
If you'd like to send us an email, the address is comicgeekspeak at gmail.com. If you'd rather send us a voicemail, you can still call 267-702-6642. You can like us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at comicgeekspeak. You can visit the comicforums.vanillacommunity.com, which is our forum site, where you can leave feedback for this and many other episodes of the show. You can let us know what you might be ordering from this month's previews yourself, for example. Or you can stick around and uh, have conversations with your fellow Comic Geek Speak listeners on a variety of geeky topics. Uh, we'd like to give special thanks, as always, to those who have been monetary donors to the show in the past. We really appreciate your support. The show would not be what it is today without it. And as always, we are uniting the world's mightiest heroes, one listener at a time. <laughs> 